What's going on, everybody? Welcome and welcome back to Real Reality Realness with Cherie Laveau, the podcast where I, Cherie Laveau, dive deeper into reality television than most people watching feel is necessary and ask all the questions about what they don't want out. Today, I have Alessandra from the Happiest Sad Person podcast joining me to bond over identity, mental health, personal value, connecting our perceptions of reality TV to our personal trauma, creating content reaching similar points of view from completely separate journeys, and so, so, so much more. I couldn't be more grateful for this conversation, and I truly feel like you all are going to benefit just as much from it, too. Lock in while I clock in, because we are about to get into it. Good. How are you, love? Pretty good. I think I have all of my alerts and everything off, so we should be good. Sweet. I think I've finally gotten like into a rhythm of like making sure to remind people to not lock your phone, do not disturb, to set in the third. Whoa, whoa, whoa. One of my friends who does a podcast recommended that I like do a like, like a little uh, PDF just to like send people before they come on and be like, these are all the things that you should know. Da, 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 da. I'm still working on that. But how are you? Good, 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 good. Just, you know, enjoying this Monday. It already feels like a Friday in my mind. So I'm like, oh no, the whole week is ahead. But pretty good. Right. How's the ankle? Thanks for asking. It's getting better. I'm going to start walking with just an ankle brace pretty soon. So slow goings, but, uh, you know, everything takes time. Everything good takes time, right? Everything takes time. You know, they say time heals all wounds. I don't know if they've seen all wounds, but, or who they is for that matter. But, you know. Exactly. We she, take her, they, them, who knows? Right. <laughs> Speaking of, what are your pronouns since you brought them up? she her word yeah uh, I however I register to you that's how you identify me he she they I I technically I, I identify as neutral which is gender neutral but transitioning to a gender neutral presentation so I'm not so I'm technically trans as well because I'm transitioning but I'm not transitioning from from one binary to the other I'm just transitioning to a state of androgyny so mm, okay that's cool thanks so whatever works for you call me okay anyway. do you have a particular mood at the moment or just um i just pretty much go by whatever i register to people so like if i come off to you as he then then call me he if i call you if i come off as she call me she and you know when in doubt pick c and call me they okay cool yeah so it all works for me now I wanted to sh- have you on the show because you actively, you know, battle with like mental health and you're like a super optimistic person. And I read your bio on on Instagram and the words eternal optimist just like now are permanently stamped across my forehead for some reason. Mm-hmm. I have not been able to get that out of my mind. So 
I so I so I relate to the struggles that you go through while also being an active content creator and you know at least relating on the surface to the things that you go through I wanted to relate to you as well as learn from you and your process and progress in the whole content creation game yeah that's a it's a broad it's a broad uh paintbrush broad brush strokes I would say whenever you're getting into like mental health content creation sort of like because I feel like most people that have some mental illness go into content creation because I feel like it's the new form of art um, because it's so accessible so I feel like it's because most of I don't know do you struggle with mental health things mm-hmm. okay so I feel like most of us the traditional workforce often isn't a either accessible or b something we can really just like find a niche in so we go to content creation and for me it was sort of like this obvious thing where I'm like okay this is available to me and it's interesting and it changes every day it's dynamic and so I was like okay let me pursue this and I also in my daily life I create um, Instagram content for influencers people that are like 300k plus following and so and I fell into that so I think it's always sort of kind of been where I would end up and it worked out in my favor now do I know if my own projects will really like you know sustain me financially and like you know emotionally creatively I don't know that but I'm kind of along for the ride what's your take on it um I think for me I agree with everything that you're saying I just recently connected my mental health to my creative space because I've always been someone who's always ran to um, to being artistic as a creative outlet. So for me, it started with, with dance and then it was music and then it was, you know, choreography being, being behind the scenes and then it eventually fell into YouTubing and then podcasting and, and, and like because I've had such broad goals as far as like wanting to do a lot of different things and be a multi-hyphenate within the entertainment space it's allowed me to kind of create all of these different types of outlets for myself but I never realized that all me creating these different things and like trying these different things like like just doing a podcast um graphic design doing my um like doing the editing for my own videos um all of those things were coping mechanisms that were helping me like channel what some would say would be mania into something that would keep me from like spiraling. Do you get what I mean? Oh, sure. I I realize that I'm my most active and that I'm my most creative when I'm in like mental distress, if you will. Um, (laughs) Like I really get in my bag when I'm stressed. And so... Um, I just recently connected those two things together and realized that it wasn't just me exploring my creativity, but one thing that you said that kind of pierced me was that the that the that the typical nine to five job space tends to not always align with somebody who suffers from ment- from mental health things, and so we kind of end up falling into content creation. I didn't realize that was common. I think I see that a lot. I also think 
you start maybe for me at least and a lot of the people I've seen you know for me I have a lot of depression so I'm not someone that's going to be on for a nine-to-five job every day I tried it it's not for me and so I kept thinking like god I'm such a failure I can't do this thing that everybody's doing so well and I rewired my brain and I'm like no the life doesn't work out in this one particular way we have a million different paths we can take and there's no right way to live we're all just living you know there's I think it's so bizarre that we've decided that the default is the right way when you see so many people that are so sick struggling depressed anxious you know I think this might be a wild take but I think that this influx of ADHD is really just people that aren't supposed to be sitting in a cubicle doing work there they were people that were supposed to be like farmers or industrial workers or you know some sort of physical worker and now they're trapped in a little box so one I can honestly myself, agree with that yeah but when you think about it because it is when you I don't know at least for me on TikTok I I'm a self-professed uh, TikTok addict um, <laughs> it's ADHD everywhere it's uh, ads for the medication people talking about it on YouTube shorts they're talking about it it's everywhere and I knew, like, when I went to, like, elementary school, there were, like, three boys that were diagnosed with ADHD. And they were, like, wildly crazy. Now everybody has it. I could technically get a uh, diagnosis for and get medication under with things I would describe. So I think we're going to find out that it's just our society that's not creating a safe world for people that think differently. And right. people that are artists and actors and dancers and people that you you want in your world so they can create beautiful things for you to watch after you come back from your long day at work. So it it behooves everybody to have a healthier environment for everyone. Yeah, like you would think that something is universally consumed as entertainment and creativity and the arts. You would think that those things that are universally consumed from multiple mediums and multiple avenues from different people, you would think that those people who are invested in being in those types of industries would come in the majority rather than the minority. You know, you would think that those people wouldn't be the quote unquote special ones because everybody wants that type of content. Like, like mute, like music is the universal language so why is there only like 10 people who are on the charts right now like you know podcast like podcasts are everywhere but why like everybody and their mother's granddaughter's cat has a podcast but why do you only hear about five of them like so it's so I kind of get what you mean it's like why would the creatives be the minority when everybody consumes creativity yeah, well, I think it's scary to go down that road. I think you struggle financially because you're not in a... Often you're working at a coffee shop or doing a night mm-hmm. job, doing your thing during the day or at night, you know. And it's scary to be different than other people. I know that every time I tell people what I'm doing, they're like, why don't you just be regular? And I'm like, well, I've tried that. It makes me super depressed. So that's right. working. So let me try something else. And it's also like... People like what's safe. And I, I'm sure you see this in your life a lot where if you're, you know, telling somebody that you express your gender or sexuality differently, it's scary to people because they like binaries. They like black and white. They Gray is scary to people. And so I think that the arts 
can be scary because it's an unknown and creative stuff. You know, sometimes artwork can be weird and visceral and, and people, as much as they think they want more art and TV shows and stuff in the world, they don't want everyone's kind of art. Right. Right. Like, even within creativity and within the arts, they want to consume art that is safe or regular or quote-unquote normal to what they've been societally conditioned to consume as safe and that and and even that is limiting to the creativity of people who was who were running or who are running to this space and this industry and this field to get away from that very thinking now even their safe space or their hideaway is now put within a box called mm-hmm. consumerism and <laughs> capitalism. It's awful. It's awful. Oh, I listen. I'm also one of those people that's. I think our capitalist society is. Uh, it's almost at its end. I call our system of capitalism unhinged capitalism because we've just gone so far. It's like we're capitalizing on like now housing, like with Airbnbs. We used to just have greedy landlords. Now we're having people buy second homes. So then they can buy another home for them. It's like, we're, we've gone too far. <laughs> it's yeah. just too much. I agree. And you were talking about, you know, we're all just kind of out here, like, doing our thing and, like, figuring it out when it comes to our creative spaces. And, you know, it's hard for us to embrace going down these roads that were probably meant to go down because of the natural complexities that come with them. So that makes me so that makes me curious. How is your novel coming? Hmm, thank you for asking. It's going well. I've had two uh, test readers read it recently, mm-hmm. and I I'm always someone that's a uh, real hyper realist. I'm always like, you know, it's not good. It's not good. But um, I got good feedback. I have some stuff to change, some stuff to add. But it's I want to have it published by January. So. Okay. I'm optimistic about it. Yeah, I, th- I think, and especially the topics it hits is it does hit on capitalism, um, religion, um, suburban society, um, uh, men's suicide, men's relationship in the world in uh, a sort of a patriarchal society and how it also hurts them. And so I think it's a little bit of something for everybody, even if you really hate the novel because it it's a criticism of your life. I think it's still, an, it would be an interesting read for somebody like that. Nice. Tell the people the title and, and like where we can find it when it comes out in January. Sure. It's called Death in the Time of Suburbia. And I haven't decided yet if I'm going to self-publish or go through a publisher. I have potentially a few publishing-ish contacts. So um, yeah, keep your eyes. I guess check Amazon, bookshop.org come January February yeah thanks for the plug of course that's what that's what we're here for because I want to you know not only like with you you're my most different interview yet because I don't have a connection to you through through reality tv Mm -hmm. I just discovered you on Instagram and your podcast sounded really interesting to me and I was like I really want to talk to you on, on my podcast so I have to figure out a way to actually about reality television amongst all the other random shit that I really want to talk to you about but um no I love it and I I'm someone that 
I don't get a lot of opportunity to talk to people about reality TV, what I do watch, what I do know, or like things like Drag Race. Like that's something that within my sphere, not a lot of people talk about or know about, or they might think it's weird or something. You know what I mean? So it's nice to get a breath of people to talk to, even just in general. Like I was just looking forward to talking to you just in general, because I'm like, this is just going to be. I was looking at your Instagram and like, you're, you're interesting no matter what. So wherever this goes, I think it'll be valuable conversation. Thank you. That's you know, it. I'm, I don't think, I, listen, I, that's a really big compliment because I hate social media. I hate social media. hate, hate social media. I really hate Why? Why? If you hate it, why are you on it so much? Be- because I have a podcast. Well, now two podcasts and a uh, and a YouTube channel to promote, and so I'm on it strictly to promote the stuff that I'm doing. So if I wasn't doing two podcasts and a YouTube channel, I wouldn't be on social media. But I recognize that my consumer base, back to that consumer mm-hmm. stuff that we were just talking about, is on social media. Yeah. So I'm like, well, if I want people to find out about the show, well, then I have to make an Instagram for it. Like, 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 and if I want people to find the Instagram, then I have to put stuff on it. And if I want people to go and subscribe to the podcast, then I have to plug it on the it, post on the Instagram channel. And if I want people to go and follow the Instagram channel, then I have to plug it on the podcast. And it's this, this, this vicious cycle where me, I'm really like a true blue artist where I just want to create the content, create the art and just let it go and just let it do what it do and the audience who's supposed to find it find it but that's not how that actually works in real life mm-hmm. so you know your hands are tied yeah well you do a good job hiding it because you seem a very comfortable in front of camp, like just talking which is something that I've realized is a major skill and is very scary so you're doing a good job not making it seem like a chore and like you enjoy it which I think is a really important skill to have I appreciate that like I have like I really enjoy creating the content like I enjoy sitting in front of the mic talking I enjoy sitting in front of the camera talking I enjoy writing music I enjoy dancing like 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 I enjoy doing the work right mm-hmm. it's the promoting part like the writing the post create coming up with the creative captions like all of that like like hashtags like like that's the algorithms like that type of stuff like the business like I feel like the old school artists who just wanted the label to do everything (laughs) and like them just be the artist but then as an adult now I see how detrimental that can be to someone's career to release that much creative control so it's uh, once again back to your hands being tied you know um which once again leads me to ask how has doing your podcast inspired your writing or taken you further away from it Mm, that's a very good question i well i'm someone that i get inspired by for writing specifically pretty much anything like i I used to think, sort of like you, I used to think like my, what I would create would come with like mania. Like I used to have this giant fear that I would have a good idea and there was no way to like perceive it. And so I would be like, wow, what if this good, another good idea never happens? 
And so you start to get this like frenetic energy about like your inspiration and your muses and you're like, oh no, like what if this is the last thing I ever write? And so that's faded away when I've realized like when I've been able to place where I get inspiration and when and like what the path is that brings me to it. But I am usually someone that's writing different. I like, so I have my book and then I'm also, I have um, a mini series script I'm writing about um, uh, survivors of the Holocaust coming to New York in 1950 and their sisters, they sort of reunite, but you don't know if they actually are sisters. And then I'm writing. Yeah. So, and then I'm writing another script about um, a daughter of a uh, mortuary owner, funeral director who has to take over her father's business in Pasadena in the nineties. So it talks about like the LA riots and like cults and all sorts of things. So Wow. When you have a wide breadth of stuff to write about, your brain can send, can sort of latch onto anything. And so, like, the podcast, it's funny. I'll have all of these, like, things I want to talk about. But then when I sit down and talk about it, it's like my brain sometimes goes blank. And I don't know how to verbalize it. It's weird. Do you ever get that feeling? You know, I do. Because I really just get on get on the mic and talk. Like, mm. I, like a lot. Like, I, I don't script the show. Like, I try to make, like, the intros to my podcast sound scripted, but I'm not writing those. Like, I'm just coming off of the cuff, but mm-hmm. I say the same thing at the beginning of every podcast, mm-hmm. and then I just kind of flow from there. So it's like, when you say the same thing every day, and eventually you can just kind of, like, flow flow off of that and then just kind of, like, create something based on what you're talking about. Um, but with the actual show... Or you know the 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 actual podcast. Most of the time, it's me just getting on the mic and talking. Like if I'm talking about a specific like show on um, TV, then if I'm like recapping the episode, then I'll take notes on the episode based on you know what I'm watching, and then I'll hit the bullet points and expand on them based on the bullet points. But I, but I don't script the show, so it's really just me just getting on the mic and talking, which is which. For me, you saying that it's a gift, it hits me differently because I've always grown up with this being a problem, right? Mm. Because I've always been told that I talk too much, that I talk too loud. Like, it's that Wendy Williams thing of, like, too much, too loud, too fast. (laughs) It's very that. It's very that. So I've always thought, like, where it's been called a gift of gab for others, I've just been told I talk too much. Do you get what I'm saying? Oh, sure. And I think really becoming an adult is realizing that, like a self-actualized adult, is realizing that all the things that people complained about with yourself and your person are usually your gifts. Because they're the things that change the status quo and make people uncomfortable. Obviously, if you're an asshole, like, that's not (laughs) good. But it's like... Yeah, that's everything that someone told me was obnoxious about me now is something I'm using to benefit myself in a creative career. I just think we're like, for an example, I'm always someone that goes back to like history and logic and like how, why we are the way we are. Our education system comes from 1930s Germany, which was the precursor to, you know, fascism and Hitler's regime. That was a system that was based on obeying, listening, following all the rules. So if you were a kid that 
was not rule oriented and wanted to be more creative and free, you're going to struggle in that system because we mm-hmm. took our system from theirs. So it's right. the same thing. Anytime you're just challenging the status quo, it kind of just means you're not, you know, just blindly following the rules just because they're there. Mm-hmm. Sort of a good thing. And it takes time to realize that. And sometimes people never realize that and stifle their creativity and never pursue what they actually wanted or give up, which to me is always the saddest thing when someone gives up when when the real key is just sticking it out. Anyone that has made it has just stuck it out longer than the person before them. Right. And, you know, that's the thing that I'm realizing in my early 30s that, you know, like, the, like, like those are the things. And, you know, it's, it's been difficult for me because I've, I've struck like I battle with that all the time like in this new era of my creative space where I've created a new YouTube channel I'm starting this this new podcast launching another one this week and like all of the things that like you said I've been told were problems issues not okay not normal weird all of those adjectives that we grow up crippling being like crippled by are all things that now seem to be what people love about me like me having a quote big personality or me having a quote big mouth or me having a strong opinion or me having a proclivity to talk about the issues that nobody wants to talk about all of those things have become attributes to my content and why people like to listen to me and it's hard because it's like that's not something that is particularly structured like I can't do what Gail King does I yeah, could but would you want to right, right do you get what I'm saying yeah absolutely. but then people all but then people are always like but you're not but you're not the average podcast how do you but like like people always expect people who get into the arts to want to cross over and like go into mainstream and while I do want to do my own versions of those things like a radio show like all of that stuff why do I have to fit within a specific blueprint or a template or or you know this that and the third that and that like listen I love Angie Martinez the house down but I don't want to do radio like her yeah you get me sure scripture podcast I so I I sort of do a set list which is like I'll do bullet points of like what I want to talk about but um I guess realizing talking to you about that specific point is that I realize maybe what I'm experiencing is like cam being camera shy because it sounds like you don't have that and so you're able to just be yourself the same person like in in real life and then when you turn on the camera or you turn on audio Mm-hmm. And I, for some reason, my brain immediately goes to, oh, somebody's listening to this, so I have to mm. shift. I don't know what I'm shifting to, but it's still not 100% me yet, if that makes sense. It's still a version of me that I'm putting I completely, I completely get what, get what you mean, because what you're getting of me when I'm on the mic or on camera is, is me in my most probably authentic form or my super saiyan four as one would say but i feel like it's me amped up like if i'm off the mic like i'm not somebody who's like super active or engaging in 
conversation. Like when I'm off mic, I'm a recluse, right? So like mm-hmm. I don't talk to people. I'm just having these thoughts in my head and the, and the reason why I'm doing the podcast or the YouTube channel is so I can vent those things and like talk to people because I'm now conditioned to be a part of social media culture where where we have to express ourselves publicly to feel validated. So <laughs> yeah. So, it's very <laughs> toxic as hell. But um so I do get what what you're saying when it feels like you're putting a version of yourself on because it feels like it's me but it's like the most pulled together version of my chaos that that you're gonna get and because i'm structuring all of this in independently and because it's my podcast i'm building it i'm I'm not produced by anybody there's somebody backing this it's my youtube channel i'm not on a youtube network or anything like that i don't have the structure or the box to fit within so what's worked for me is now instead of trying to structure myself to what works for YouTubers or what works for podcasters, I'm structuring my own mania and I'm structuring my own podcast or or I'm structuring my own chaos. And it's like, I'm taking what works for me and I'm framing all of my content around that. So people like that I have these strong opinions. People like that I go on these tangents. People like that I have these very deep and intense dives about the littlest things like like Lucy Lucy Apple Juicy on Housewives. People like that I will write a dissertation about a, a, about a housewife tagline. And so now I've kind of taken that and framed content that I love or that I want to do around the things that are working for me and that I have grown to love about myself and the things that I already do love about myself on top of that. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. And I think that you've sort of leaned into the most like animated version of you. Yes. So I think you've taken the path of authenticity, whereas I'm still in that watered down version of me. Does that make sense? So I need to go over that boundary because I still in my head just like we're all like just damaged little kids deep down I was so universally disliked as a child because I was like a weird mature like 80 year old you know Mr. Miyagi like Asian so I it was so jarring to adults and then to children especially the cool kids and so I it was just like in my mind I'm like oh no if I put out my real thoughts it's going to be a repeat of childhood, which is like yeah. the experience I've had thus far in line has been nothing but really, really nice, kind people. And so I'm like, why am I still holding on to this like childish fear? So I do want to get to where you are. And so I think that you're doing like the perfect thing of like leaning into like being an existentialist and being your truest, most, most authentic self. And I'm still getting there in this regard. I can do it with writing but I can't really do it with speaking yet. I think part of what's helped me is is discovering the, 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 the term ambivert mm-hmm. and realizing that I have an introverted personality with extroverted tendencies. So I'm not an extrovert. I just have extroverted char- characteristics that are fed through my, through, through my creativity. So that's why I say that it's authentic because it's genuinely me doing all of these things. It's not like me like choosing what type of personality I'm going to put on. This is just who I am. But I embrace that I have to have this put on like, like 
intriguing, interesting character. Like if I just talked to you, like I would talk to you if we were like actually on the phone and not recording a podcast, breaking the mm-hmm. fourth wall. Um, <laughs> I would probably not be as interesting because I don't like talking on the phone, mm-hmm. right? But when I have something to channel that creativity into, like, for, like, 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 for some reason, I can do an interview really easily, but I can't sit and have small talk on the phone with a oh. friend. Okay, interesting. So yes, yeah, so and ambivert. Right, like I like it's bit like and it's that extreme to where I don't want people to call me ever, like text me, period. But I can, but I only want to do interviews on my podcast now because I want to have these in, like these relatable and impactful conversations that are structured around pop culture, reality TV, as well as being a creative and how you know that all structures together but what I would say for you is uh, I say that you haven't found your clue voice yet mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is I watch the the Jane Fonda documentary My Life in Five Acts cool, and watch that. It, please do it's a great documentary watch that and then watch Joan Rivers A Piece of Work um, oh, I love Joan Rivers. Oh. No, please watch that that okay. that documentary. It is incredible. But in but in Jane Fonda's documentary, she speaks about doing the movie Clue and how um, physically speaking, her her voice was very light and airy and like sweet and like kind of like in, intimidated. And then after she did the movie Clue, that that experience kind of helped her come into herself and to mature and her voice kind of naturally deepened as she found like her presence in the world right mm-hmm. and I feel like that's kind of what you're talking about is like you're trying to get to that get over that space of the insecurity that that you have in your own voice and like step into that power that makes your voice work for you because 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 you wouldn't be still doing your podcast all almost three years later if it wasn't working for you do you get what i'm saying yeah exactly so it's so so i can't tell you how that ended up working for me i think it wasn't an experience that made me find a level of self-confidence i think it's more so me just accepting that this is who i am and it's not going to change and then the and then the comfort part for that for me is that people actually embrace the things that I've been insecure about. So it's allowed a level of comfort for me. It's like giving me this cushion to lean into versus me just jumping into it like I'm stepping onto the front lines of war and like going into battle in Troy. Like, it's more so like, oh, it's safe for me to be me. So now I can lean into it and explore how big I can create my own personality. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And that's, and I still think I'm sort of dipping my toes in the water and I'm not quite, and it's funny because like when I've, I'm sure you felt this way with for yourself, but when I found my voice with writing, it was like this big weight was lifted off, off my shoulders and I was like, aha. I was like, this, this is my voice. This is what I want to say. This is like the commentary I want to provide. Like, it's like everything is like aligned and like you're it's like nothing feels like hard work when you're doing it because it just feels so exhilarating and exciting and I haven't gotten that yet with my speaking content 
but it's something I am really passionate about. And I, you know, it's working and I'm, it's, you know, fine and improving, but it's not there yet. Right. I can't tell you what, what necessarily to do, but I can give you things to watch that have helped me. Like I watched a piece on YouTube. I can't remember exactly who it's by, but it's about um, Dolly Parton's film career. Mm-hmm. I One thing you'll learn about me and this show is I live my life on the most random references. No, I love <laughs> it. <laughs> so like, I'll give you some really deep references from some really obscure, like, I'll give you some really deep life lessons from some really obscure places in uh, pop culture. But what helped me a lot was watching um, this piece on on Dolly Parton's film career. And 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 there was a part in it in there where Dolly was explaining basically like how Dolly Parton that we see is a character that Dolly plays, but it's based on the authenticity of the uniqueness of Dolly's personality, right? So mm-hmm. the Dolly that we see is is Dolly, but it's not Dolly 24-7. It's Dolly when she's on and she's turned up to 100, right? Okay, that makes sense. And she talks about Dolly Parton, in air quotes, Dolly, being a cartoon character or a gimmick or like a thing that she puts on Dolly Parton is her costume when she goes to work and does music or does movies do you you get me yeah but it's still a part of her correct so what's helped me channel that me having a history in drag and me coming out of retirement from drag and that's a whole backstory but me now coming back to drag creating a whole new um, drag character starting over in drag because it was one of my safest places in my creative outlets for me to perform so with doing this and doing drag those two things kind of meshed for me so now I've chosen to do everything under my drag name so Cherie Laveau is now the person that that you get when I'm doing all of my um, content. So now I can channel all of that mania, all of that chaos, all of that, oh, this actually does work for me. Oh, people like this. People want to hear more of this. People want to do that. I can channel all of that into Cherie. And then when I step off the mic, I, I can leave Cherie right there and go and just detach from that and just... <sighs> that helps me a lot. So it's embracing my own cartoon character or my own personality or, or or my own character, if you will. That's what helps me personally. Hmm. I like that. And I, I wonder, you know, if it's because you're meshing, you know, drag with a version of yourself and then with Dolly Parton, who's basically like, you know. A drag queen. A <laughs> I, you know. I, uh, Blatantly, yeah. And she owns it too, and I love that. Owns it, yeah. But I wonder. Drag queen. Yeah, how you do that as someone that's like, you know, I'm a cis female, you know. So I, I wonder how I can, because I that does make sense, and now I'm intrigued to see like, how do I create almost like a drag version of me that's not drag per se does that make sense it's almost like the old hollywood actresses because that that was the basis of old hollywood actresses 
they were they were drag queens that were displayed as real people because if you look at a lot of stories when it comes to classic ho- classic Hollywood actresses they were women from small towns picked out of nowhere taken to LA they were given fake names they were cleaned up they were maybe even given plastic surgery and they were created into these stars mm-hmm. their stardom or their their stardom or their it factor wasn't based on who they were as individuals. It was created for them and then presented as an entity. So that's pretty much what we're talking about when it's when you're talking about creating this hyper extended or this hyper realistic version of yourself that is your drag persona basically. It's the same thing. You know, look at Betty Davis, look at Joan Crawford, look at Tallulah Bankhead, look at all of those girls, and their stories are very similar in that regard, whereas they were created into the characters that we ended up loving. Yeah, that makes sense, huh? Yeah, because it's like the classic, like, Norma Jean becomes Marilyn Monroe, she got her nose done, very, dolled up. One million percent. Huh, it's okay. exactly that. Now, 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 I'm not telling you to dye your hair blonde and, and, you know, go and get your nose done. That's not what I'm saying. I but... You can do that within the... Just like with, you know, drag. You don't need to get the work done. You can just sort of tinker with what you have, what you, you know, you know, contour your nose down if you really want to. But let me ask you this then. If you, from what you know of me thus far, anyone that I should look into that you think would be like a good someone that like of that era or genre that almost reminds this is like a tough question reminds you of me or like something like an element because i always like to... it's not that hard of a question um jane russell um with her and marilyn monroe last night that's so weird yeah jane russell is a good one i would say betty davis specifically mm-hmm. in her in her all about eve era okay um and someone who may who may not work for you based on your personality but may inspire you I, I feel like this person works more for my personality but mm-hmm. I think it'll more so inspire you to like figure out what works for your personality Tallulah Bankhead Tallulah Bankhead okay because Tallulah Bankhead was somebody who was characterized as being too much for Hollywood and she thrived on stage. So where her film career wasn't the astronomical success that maybe she would have wanted it to be, she was a Broadway icon, legend, superstar, because her personality and her mannerisms and what worked for her and like her 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 quirks worked for Broadway. It just didn't work for Hollywood. So I take that thought process and I apply it to my own career and it's like, what I do may not work for mainstream radio. What I do may not work for, you know, mainstream podcasts, what, whatever those may be. But there is a space within the industry for voices like mine. And if there isn't, I can create that space and let the audience of people who relate to the things that I'm saying or the backstory that I have find me. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there's always this fear of like, there's never enough to go around. And I think there's always, you know, there's always another, 
you know, if you want to use the pie analogy, there's always another slice to the pie. You can always cut it a little thinner or you don't need to use the pie analogy at all. And there's plenty to go around. It's like this weird scarcity mindset that I think people have where it's like, no, if you're talented, someone will find you and they'll be like, okay, let's create something for you or give you full control to create something for yourself. Yeah, like, like to expound on that, to, to expound on the pie analogy or the lack of need for it. It's like, why do you need to, why do you need to bring something to the table when you can bring it, bring a table? Like, why not just bring an entire table? Because I don't think that, you know, that, but, but, but then that speaks to the whole like people. People are not a monolith, so it's like everybody is different. Everybody brings something different. There's several different tables. There's not just one table. Like, like you can bring your own table, and then people can contribute it or you know take from it. So, ah, so, so it's kind of like that double-sided coin of like everybody and their mama has a podcast, mm-hmm. right? So there's two ways to look at that statement. It's like everybody has a podcast, so who's gonna listen to my podcast? There, there, there's a million and one podcasts out there. What's gonna mean that? Who would find mine? Or you could look at it as there's a million and one podcast. So why the hell can't I have one? Everybody else got one. Yeah, why and not? I think it's shifting that mindset because for me, I think especially in this era of like. I don't know where people are like fake news and everyone's posting like blatant insane things on the internet it's like A I want to counter that insanity and B it's like god if these nightmarish people can get followings and like make a career off of like being like evil and grifting then I can make a following of being like I don't know promoting you know kindness and compassion and like self improvement it might not get as large of a following because people always will follow outrage culture, but it'll still mm-hmm. gain interest. I completely agree with you on that because that was part of the basis of me starting my YouTube channel. Like I say in the beginning of all of, all of my videos that this is a space where I, where I take, um, where we personalize pop culture and entertainment and then curated conversation that's based on self-discovery and growth right Mm -hmm. so I think what I would probably implement to you is probably just taking the taking the absurdity of clickbait society of the whole you know posting the absurdities and using that to your advantage to spread a positive message right so take mm-hmm. the things that are clickbaity. Take the things that you want to, you know, get out the real facts about and use the culture against itself to spread your message. You know, it's like when you, <laughs> you can't beat them, join them, but do it better, make change from the inside, all of those type of cliches. That's my life is just cliches and references. <laughs> That's literally my entire life. That's literally my entire vocabulary is just cliches and references. That's probably gonna be the name of my book. Patent pending. Patent pending. (laughs) I'll I'll make sure no one steals that from you. But let me ask you, what drew you initially? Because reality TV has been, you know, around for a little bit, but it still, you know, was coming around when, like, you know, as you were growing up, probably. So what? 
initially drew you to it and what made you stay and what made you really like fall in love with it? Well, for me, there's been so many different versions of reality TV for me, because if you want to go outside of reality TV, my favorite type of film is like docu-style TV. So I love documentaries. I love docu-series. I love, you know, looking and learning about real people. So if you want to go outside of general reality TV in the space of what we know now in the context of like Housewives and like those type of shows, we can go back to things like, you know, true crime shows on TV, court TV, watching court cases on TV. Because I remember growing up and watching the Michael Peterson trial every day, mm-hmm. like it was, like it was a sitcom. Like that, like like I used to watch court court shows on like like watch people's cases on TV all the time. Um, so that's one style for me. I don't know what that says about me, but please don't judge. But, um, so I used to watch people's court cases on, you know, TV all the time. I used to watch, well, I still watch a lot of, like, HGTV shows. So, like, Curb Appeal, House Hunters, that type of stuff. That's reality TV. And then if you want to go into to the more modern scope, Road Rules. Um, that was, like, my big, that, like, like, that was my first um, obsession when it came to reality TV. It was road rules. It was, it was the competition. It was the physical activity. It was the blend of me learning and watching real people do real things in real time and also this extreme athleticism because I love being outdoors and, you know, doing these athletic, like, challenging, like, like things like that. So the blend of those things, that's what hooked me. And then... I've always just been fascinated about learning about people because I just feel like I've always, and this is probably going to be wild of me to say, but I've never felt like, I've always felt like an outsider in the world around me. Mm-hmm. I've always felt like an alien from another place. Like I, maybe that's why Dragon Ball Z hit so heavy to me. <laughs> No, I've felt that way my whole life too. And it's hard to explain to people like they're like, but no, you're, you seem to be getting along just fine with me. I'm like, no, it's not. It's like an inside thing. It's a, it's a bizarre feeling. So I I get that. Right. It's like, I look and probably act and carry myself what somebody would qualify as normal in some third world countries. But in my mind, I'm a piccolo on earth. At all times. Like, I feel like I don't understand the world around me. And especially America specifically. I really don't understand America. So, like, so I've always felt like an explant or a transplant or, or like somebody who was not from here. So, I think that that subconscious observation of myself or that, or that subconscious perspective has led to what I consume when it comes to my media because it's always been about real people like I like 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 even back to the reality TV thing like I love like I always wanted to be a VJ a radio host you know and interview people so like TRL 106 and Park all of those Rap City the Basement um 
The Center, like all of those type of shows. I wanted to host those shows because I wanted to talk to real people about the things that they did that I also loved and wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? Because I was also a creative, but I also wanted to talk to the creatives and learn from them because I love learning about real people. So all of these things always kind of interconnected themselves in different avenues when it came to the industry. So people always have asked me, but wait, you start you started as a dancer who wanted to do music. How did that get to radio and then podcasting and YouTube and then music and you write raps and you choreograph and you do drag and this and you're trans? It's like, like it's like, what? How does all of this fit together? But to me, it's like it's all just branches from the same tree. Sure, and I think it sounds like you're just fascinated with studying what humans are and you know human nature in general i think that's maybe why you like the the realism or the semi-realism then of like docu-series reality tv um those shows because it's it's giving you a palatable easy to digest version of human beings and i think maybe i gravitate towards more evolutionary biology and like like psychology because i like to know i don't really want to know people themselves i want to know why it's more like right yeah so i think that's maybe like i think we're on the same wavelength just going about it different ways in different ways yeah because i think for me it's just been like i've been like as much as i'm obsessed with real people and getting to the thought process of why they do what they do why do they do this how does this make sense I'm just as I'm just as obsessed with the absurdity and the hyper realism of Hollywood and the entertainment industry. Yeah, well, I think it's the I mean, shiniest, best version of people. You get to color correct. You get to make everything brighter, prettier, and everyone's you know saying all the right words at the right time. That's why I was so drawn to movies and TV as a kid because I'm like, oh, I need my life to be like this because it feels. Mm-hmm better than whatever real life is you know in in my regular everyday life it's it's aspirational or at least it was supposed to be like it's like kind of like the basis for what people want their instagram feed to be if you want to be honest about it um now in the context of somebody who battles mental health and like being in a society where people care less nowadays about presenting a realistic version of themselves and just presenting the best most on or the most lit version of themselves how do you combat your depression in a state where you're using your 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 podcast to relate to people but also you're in a society where people kind of uh frown upon that level of vulnerability yeah that's it's tough to toe the line to be sort of vain in the fact that you need to have a certain level of certain level of vanity if you are in the social media space mm-hmm. but i don't know like i don't know if this answers your question but i during covid i took a break from sort of making myself look so presentable all the time and just being like this version of me that's like aesthetically what I'm familiar with and like obviously you couldn't get your hair done so I let my hair get a little darker and I just took a break from all of that and it's such a bizarre feeling to to detach from that aesthetic appearance 
and yeah. it felt lonely at first and then it felt familiar and then it felt like oh i missed that old me so so in that regard i think that realizing that i'm separate from what i look like externally and like you know i was joking say like the most the, the way i look should be the least entertaining or interesting thing about me it should be what's on the inside but realistically that's you know obviously we care about how we look and i i struggle with that because i i'm not someone that's particularly like super you know anti photoshop anti filters anti plastic surgery i'm not any of those like i think whatever makes you feel good and i i do like the art form of photoshop and high fashion clothing and advertisements and so i guess for me i try to approach it with a level of honesty and a level of realism by saying like i like all these things this is something we really can't avoid but i do think that we need to have a conversation around what it means to present ourselves aesthetically and you know being vulnerable about our appearance and what we dislike about ourselves and i think it's ever evolving i i don't i that might change my mind you know 5 years from now I'll be like oh my god plastic surgery is so bad but right now you know if someone offered me free lipo i would take it like i who cares what? but like you know again we're all sort of changing and that's why i like to say a lot this is how i feel right now about something it doesn't va- invalidate my opinion but it means that it could change because i think so many people are so stuck in what they think and they think they'll think it forever and i think mm-hmm. that's the moment that you never grow again and so that's like a roundabout way of answering your i hope that answered your question it did and it also made me think about things in a different way because you know that wasn't an answer that i would have expected but it also did make me think about my own presentation because i completely get get where you're saying because i'm someone who's obsessed with with the fashion industry obsessed mm-hmm. obsessed 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 <laughs> with the fashion industry i live fashion live breathe love it however i, it. I walk around every day dressed like a programmer from the matrix that's my aesthetic like I legitimately love like yeezy season one homeless chic that's my drag 100 so like i don't look or present like somebody who is interested in fashion because i don't wear makeup every day i'm not obsessed with wearing labels i'm not obsessed with you know fashion I walk around in sweatpants and I mostly only exclusively wear the color black. Right? But that's but still fashion. I, it's fashion to some, you know, <laughs> some people would consider it obnoxious hipster fashion, but whatever. Um, you know, looks are looks. Now, but I get what you mean because I'm somebody who considers themselves to to be a minimalist. Like I don't like 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 the reason why I only pretty much wear sweats and like jeans and t-shirts and only wear the colors black, white, and gray is because I wanted to keep myself down to a minimum amount of physical things. Like I wanted to detach myself from my borderline hoarder mentality or the attachment or the sentiment that, that, that I would attach to all of the things that I have because I don't have a lot of people around. Mm-hmm. Do you get what I mean? Like I don't have a a community around me but for me a, for a long time having a lot of things was validating for me that was comforting for me like like 
who needs friends when I have nice clothes? That that probably sounds nutty as squirrel shit. No, listen, but, I get it. I I used to be a shopping addict. You're preaching to the choir, right? So, like, for me, I completely get where you're coming from when when you're saying like I don't have that attachment to presenting that aesthetic, but I enjoy the industry and the creativity and the artistry around that type of life and uh, and aesthetics and fashion and, and like all, all of those things like I like I don't judge nobody Tyler if you want to get surgery get surgery get your ass done titties done your throat done get your big toe done I don't care do what you want to do as long as at the end of the day you're doing it because you personally want to do it and that decision is not influenced by any type of outside source. If you look in the mirror and you look at yourself and say, my left big toe don't match my right one, so I'm going to get it chopped down a little bit. I can't say nothing about that. That's your toe. You looked in yourself in the mirror and, 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 you, and, and you decided to shave down your big toe. What's, what, what can I say about that? But I can say something about you posted a picture on Instagram and so you got a thousand comments about how huge your big toe looks, so you decided to, to go and get it done for the gram. That sounds crazy to me. Yeah, I think that's the difference is who are you getting it done for? Also, it gets murky when it's, are you selling something? So, did mm-hmm. you get lipo and then are you selling fit tea? You know, then it's like, where do you go from there? I think there's an ethical standpoint in a, was it SEC, Securities Exchange Commission? I know that Kim Kardashian just got fined for um, promoting that Ethereum, Max, Bitcoin, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that ties into promotion. And, And that's where I have an issue where are you making money off of manipulating people? Then it's like either don't take the sponsorship or disclose that you had something done at this point I don't know if there's another third option because it's in my opinion it's unethical I don't understand why there's such a stigma around saying hey I'm on this fitness journey to maintain the BBL that I just got yeah because why are those things mutually exclusive I think because it means that you're somehow inferior. If you had to get work done, it, it negates your exercise. It negates the effort you take on your skincare. It negates the time you spend, you know, getting facials. And, and in reality, it's you took a giant risk. Like to me, I applaud someone if they're willing to get plastic surgery because that's scary. You're going under anesthesia, especially a facelift. You're, you don't know how that's gonna heal. It's, you don't know how the hell you're going to look when you get up off that table. Exactly. And especially if you get the bad, a bad surgeon or you have too much scar tissue and then you get that like Demi Moore weird Joker lines thing. Like, that you, are you be careful. That are you going to wake up like goddamn Mickey Rourke <laughs> God bless him. Shout out oh. to him. No shade to Mickey Rourke. The, I, I'm more so shading his surgeon. Fuck his surgeon. Yeah, well, he got, like, one of the <laughs> first, like, facelifts. I remember he was, like, first out the dockets. Like, no, dude, wait a little bit. Let other people be guinea pigs yeah. before you go. Yeah, like, listen, I- I've been skinny for 31 years now. 
and I've only seen BBLs happen for about 10 and I've only seen people proud to talk about them for five so by my math by my math and like my arithmetic that don't add up to me so by the time I probably will 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 have enough money to get a BBL I will probably be so comfortable with the body that I have, I probably won't give a damn because I'm at a point where I'm embracing the fact that I have an athletic body. But I think the reason why I consider such plastic surgeries is because I'm still battling the thought process of what does a woman look like because I'm trans, but I'm also like accepting the fact that I'm in a gender neutral space, which is why I identify as neutral because I am transitioning, but I'm not transitioning from male to female. I'm I'm transitioning from binary to androgynous. Do you get what I mean? So, sure. But that's hard to understand when you're talking to Betty and Joe Beardman. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had a conversation that? with people before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, well, I think their natural response would be fear. And then also it's like, they've never encountered anything that's other than, you know, the norm. You know, these super they have enough trouble here and I'm things. gay. Like, let alone now I'm trans, I'm third gender, I'm neutral. Like, that, like, I accept all pronouns. Like, people have enough trouble just hearing that the son is gay. Oh. Like, as besides adding on the other stuff. Now you add on the fact that they on hormones and doing all of this, that they're trans, but they don't want to have surgery and they're comfortable with their genitalia. They have this. Like, like it's so much, like, I'm such a mixed bag of nuts that I don't even bother explaining things to uh, people anymore. Like, that's why I've kind of let myself become comfortable with the whole, you, you pronoun me based on how you see me. You just get my damn name right. Yeah, but I think that that's, I think people will really respect you for that. And if they don't, then that's on them. That's their choice. I, my whole thing is, does the way someone present hurt you? 99.9% of the time, no. So why does it matter? That's my thing. Like I, and I also don't know what you feel inside. And so who am I to say you can't do this with, with your body or how you want to present? Because... I'm not the person living in your body. Why should I promise you? Because I don't feel that way. Do I necessarily completely understand? No, but I don't think I'll ever completely understand because I'm not you, just like you're not me. And so I feel that way sometimes when I, it's not the same, but you know, when I try to explain like mentally how I feel sometimes or trying to explain depression to people that never felt depressed, like they're never going to get it because their brain chemistry isn't the same as mine and that's fine right. as long as you're not telling me to just get over it because then it's right. like, cruel 100% and see for me like I understand the complexity of my gender identity because the, the experiences that I've had to get to this point are extremely complex do you get what I mean like I started mm-hmm. off as a young child who just thought that they were intersex found out I was trans once I turned into a once I got to to like teenage age and like met my first trans woman and was like oh this is what I am because once I hit puberty and didn't go didn't grow breasts like I thought I would 
oh, mm-hmm. that's when a whole wave of of body dysmorphia, depression hit, all of that type of stuff. And then I met my my first trans woman at 15, and then I then it became clear to me. I was like, oh, it's not I. It's not that I, I'm a woman who was born differently. It, I, I'm a woman who was born in the wrong body. Mm-hmm. Got it. And then as time went on, I wasn't comfortable transitioning at a younger age because I was somebody who wasn't dysphoric about my genitalia because I had become comfortable in my mindset thinking I was intersex and thinking I was just a woman born with different body makeup, right? So I never developed dysphoria around that, so I never wanted to have sexual reassignment surgery, which up until the past five or six years, maybe maybe seven or eight, there wasn't a conversation about people transitioning without having sexual reassignment surgery. That wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. To the point where even in the state that I live in, I can't change my gender marker from one binary to the other unless I have sexual reassignment surgery. Oh, which wow. is all Yeah. So like throughout that process of of feeling like a woman who was forced to live as a man, there are certain mechanisms and coping devices that you develop in order to get through and live in life that kind of become a part of you so I say all of that to say by the time I got to the point in my life where I did want to start transitioning I realized as much as I'm missing femininity physically by way of breath to accomplish to balance out what I felt like was the was my anatomical lack what I also realized that the masculinity that I've acquired over the years just to just to survive in this world has also become a natural part of me. So now I don't present as a regular trans woman. I'm not, I was a trans woman that was a tomboy or considered to be masculine or my my presentation of what a trans woman was was what you would consider to be a stud lesbian. Oh, okay. If that makes but, sense. Yeah, I see that. Okay. So through time, it kind of felt disingenuine for me to call myself a trans woman because it was like I don't necessarily feel ashamed of my masculinity or the things that come with that. It's just the fact that I feel comfortable with my masculinity, but the lack of of presentational femininity is dysphoric for me. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like the fact that my body doesn't look a certain way that makes me dysphoric because I look in the mirror and only see a man looking back at me. And that's not what my mind is programmed or how I've always grown up seeing myself. So now there's been a balance of, oh, the andro okay like figuring out that what it was for me it wasn't that I was trying to transition from one binary to the other or even that I'm a butch trans woman or that in the third it's the fact that I'm actually gender neutral and part of my comfortability within my gender identity was transitioning to a gender gender neutral space as well because the fact that my body looks predominantly one binary was dysphoric for me and it causes me depression 
So it wasn't about transitioning from male to female. It was about transitioning from binary to androgynous. And so figuring that out along the way, that's kind of been like how I've gotten it all together. Long story. But but hopefully that helps it make make a little bit more sense in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah, that's a... I've never heard someone's explanation obviously your experience is unique to you but it sounds like you were the way you present yourself is sort of an amalgamation of your life experiences you kind of can't erase the years you spent as presenting as you know different ways so it's almost like it makes sense that you would be a collection of these people that are all a part of you so that's 100 correct yeah that's 100 percent correct um, and they, and part of that, you know, part that kind of leads into also the drag character that I present through my through my content and uh, and all of that. Like my drag character or my hyper realized self is a Sasha Fierce alter ego version, I guess of the fully realized person that I am in my daily life, right? Mm -hmm. So it's also led to not only my presentation being a safe space for me, but my content being a safe space for me because I'm not only being a hyper-realized version of myself, but I'm also being the most authentic, the most free, the most raw, the most uncensored version of myself within my content. And it allows me a level of freedom that I may not necessarily always get to express in my presentation or in my day-to-day life. So my question to you is, is your podcast a safe space for you? Mm, um, I think it's getting there. I think I need to get to that point, like you were telling me, like I need to fi- truly find my own speaking voice. And I think that I now that I'm realizing that I because I've I've always been fascinated about why I connect to drag and why I'm so fascinated with it and why I've always loved it and why I've always been connected to like larger than life female characters and maybe it's because I want yeah yeah and it's not it's hard to explain if you're traditionally just like a girl and you look like a girl do you know what I mean it's that that explanation is tough and I was always such a major tomboy growing up like I played with all my brother's friends and I was like a big skateboarder I had uh cargo pants that I would wear like I was a boy like I did every sport and you know I grew up and you know as as you change and you sort of just like follow what other girls are doing you dress like other girls and I've eventually fallen in love with like wearing like you know five inch heels getting dressed up and the whole thing yeah but um yeah, it is kind of like a, a character version of me, a caricature. And so I think as I think it will become a safe space once I find that voice and that heightened version of me. Mm-hmm. And it also has sort of become that slowly because I've again, people are so nice so far thus far in responses to the podcast. And I was not expecting that. And so I think it motivated me to like keep going and made me realize like oh if you build it they will come meaning that if you put out 
like positivity and like self-exploration and kindness, you're going to bring those people back to you. I'm sure down the line, people will be crueler and mean and have something to say and the whole thing. But thus far, it's been really nice to have people so uh, receive my content so well and have it be so well received. And so, so I think I'm getting there. And it's, it's a fun exploration. Yeah, like, I think part of the comfortability in that and, like, finding that is realizing that you can't be on 24-7. Mm-hmm. And that stretches to everything. Like, you can't be the person that you are on the podcast 24-7. You can't be this perfectly professional, pulled-together broadcaster 24-7, if that's even your goal. Because I'm not trying to give that on my podcast. No shade. I ain't trying to give Oprah. I ain't trying to be the black Oprah. but I like so I think it's part of realizing for me there was a cross between seeing the people who whose content you related to who were already successful doing doing what you wanted to do seeing what they're doing seeing what you liked about it why it relates to you and then cross-referencing that with what is naturally you because I I naturally have a big mouth I naturally overthink things I naturally dive too deep I naturally am long-winded so I have to work around that and figure out what works for me and and how to present what is naturally myself in the most entertaining package possible so it's not about fitting myself within the box it's about fitting the box to me do you get what I'm saying yeah yeah absolutely and yeah finding for me that person that I've always gravitated towards that's in the public eye currently is Chelsea Handler I've always ah, I've, ah, yeah, I as that. like a more masculine I've always been a little bit more aggressive a little more masculine not as abrupt and intense as she is maybe but that energy and I've also never wanted to get married I don't want to have kids like that's hard to find in this culture being you know you know cishet female is finding someone that doesn't want to rely on a man or traditional tropes to to live and so that's always she's always been someone I've greatly looked up to and she's polarizing so I don't think I necessarily am completely like her I think I'm a little bit more a quieter version of her if that makes sense but I want to pull from that energy and what her career has become. That makes perfect sense to me because when I think about people in the public eye who I relate to as far as like what I like the way you you describe Chelsea Handler for me those people would be like a Paul Mooney mm-hmm. a Richard Pryor mm. a Grace Jones a, a Prince a Sylvester, those okay. people. However, I am not someone who is presentational, who is presentationally on that level twenty four seven. Like I said, I walk around in black sweat all day long. Now, will I play with fashion? Do all of the things of the things? And you know, will I, will will I get into that type of presentation? Yes, that's where my drag comes in and that's where Cherie Laveau comes in. Even down to the name, hearing the name Cherie Laveau and thinking about the contextual reference to that, it automatically leads to drama. 
dig. Let dig me ask, is that Marie Laveau, or is that the? Am I thinking direct right? connection? Okay. Direct connection. Okay. Direct like connection. Because the backstory to my drag character, because I have a, um, tattoos of Prince and Grace, uh, Prince and Grace Jones on, on my inner arm. They're on, they're both um, tattooed on um, on my left and right bicep, right? So my backstory is that Prince and Grace Jones got together. They had a drunken night. They're they're really not each other's type, but it was studio. <laughs> before you understand oh yeah and (laughs) you understand darling (laughs) so they got together they had a night had a love child me right got grew up did a dna test did the did my ancestry if you will and then found out that my roots link directly back to marie laveau so instead of building my career off of my parents grace and um grace and prince I would rather just go straight back to my great 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 grandmother Marie Laveau. So I took her last name. I I love that story. I that needs to be its own script. You gotta get to writing. I'll gladly let you. I'll, I'll do the writing. I'll, you can write it. I'll do the interviewing. I'll do the producing. I'll even star. But I love it. I. Go, but this body don't know nothing about writing no scripts, so you can teach me that. <laughs> you can teach I me that. I think you'd be better at it than you think you would. I've just never sat down and tried it. Like, 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 like it's the same thing with stand-up comedy. Like, I'm terrified of writing jokes, but people tell me that I'm funny all day long. But the reason why I'm terrified of writing jokes is because I feel like my my comedy is more reactionary than it is presentational. Like, I don't sit down and write out jokes like hey this is funny this is what I'm gonna do here's the punchline here's the thing boom now laugh it's more mm-hmm. so like I just say shit that comes to my mind and y'all think it's funny but that's more of like a George Carlin style commentary on society I could see that I think you know I think that's one of those things that I think everyone should try stand up it's something I'm terrified to do but I think it would be fun and I think that I don't know. It's like if you're familiar with Bill Burr, he's moving yeah. into the George Carlin era where he's talking about, you know, capitalism and how it's hindering people and cultural things. It's like I, there's stuff can be funny that's not inherently like a one two punch. I also think that kind of comedy can sometimes be hacky. That's why Paul Mooney is so inspirational to me, because I feel like he is that he is yeah. everything that I would want to be as a comedian like him, Dick Gregory. Like, I feel like those type of people who it's observational humor, but it's also like talking about, you know, social awareness, human rights issues. Like it's talking about the real facts, but it just ends up being funny. That's the type of stuff that I love. So like Paul Mooney is the one person who like really drives that home for me because he's somebody who became famous off of this observational humor that was controversial because he would have white people in their audience and like talk directly to them about race and they would still laugh. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like I, like that is iconic and inspirational to me beyond measure. Cause I was like, I grew up kind of in activism. Like I was okay. raised by, well, like just full disclosure. Like I was raised by former members of the black Panther party. So okay, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. It's in the blood. So, um, so I just kind of have that 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 view on life outside of just being a black person who is also queer and 
outside of the gender norm and all of that stuff. The 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 in the in intersectionality of it all. Sure, I think that yeah, you have. I think if you're not socially active about something that impacts your life or somebody else's, like you're you're not fully living in in our world today. So I love that. Yeah. So we've been talking on and off about your podcast, and I want you to kind of dive into it and this and describe the vibe of your podcast to my listeners who I affectionately call the realtors. I just oh, 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 I, I, I just find any way to use the word real now for this podcast. But like <laughs> but describe the vibe of your podcast to my realtors because I feel like you have a unique platform and a really interesting show that I am mystified by. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, because I think the other day I literally listened to a year's worth of your podcast in suspect, like in direct succession. Oh god, that's probably just a lot of "woe is me" depression mode. Um, I, I was relating though. Okay, well, that's my goal. <laughs> is yeah, if I can like, use, I feel you, girl. <laughs> if I can use that to get people to vibe with me, I I will definitely be appreciative of that. But yeah, it's um, I, I it's changed over the past what like. I think it's been two years-ish, over two years now. But um, I've done interviews with people sort of talking about things like politics, the election. Um, I Now I'm sort of doing a solo podcast. That might change in the future, I'm not sure. But I like to open up with issues relating to my personal life and then what's going on in the world. And then I try to keep a theme throughout every episode um and tie it all together at the end with some sort of quote writing uh poem that really sums up whatever that that feeling that energy is for that episode and yeah i i like to talk about you know how to be an existentialist how to always be self-improving uh philosophy um i'm currently going through my utopianism phase where i want and I hope and I think the world can be like the dream that we want it to be mm-hmm. um, you know that always changes but yeah, yeah it's a lot of just sort of examining what's in your brain what's in my brain and seeing if we relate it's it's okay. a work in progress also so it's it's becoming what it's becoming over a period of time I feel the exact same way about my my podcast because I started this podcast a little over a month ago maybe mm-hmm. and just the and just the growth and the change that this podcast has, this podcast has had just in the time that I've been doing it it's kind of grown and shifted a lot and it's gone from me recapping reality tv and just diving deeper into the reality shows than most people feel is necessary i think i've kind of taken that theme of diving deeper into reality tv that most people feel is necessary and it's kind of translated to me talking to content creators and like talking to people about their experiences with reality tv and how it affects their life or like where their connection to reality TV comes from how they react to to reality TV. Why do they see the shows the way they do? Why do they feel the way they do about certain reality stars and, and like what inspired that? And I think that's the deep dive that I've truly connected to. So it's gone left. So it's gone. 
to be less about me talking about actual reality shows or like me talking about the episodes of reality TV and it's gone more so to me talking about people me me talking to people about their reality TV do you get what I mean yeah yeah and I think reality TV is so universal at this point that I think it touches everyone whether you've seen a show of housewives or you know road rules or anything or you have or you have or is your favorite thing ever I think it it impacts everybody because it's such a part of our cultural zeitgeist yeah and it's given me the opportunity to have some really interesting and impactful conversations on this podcast because you know the places where people go to when it comes to why they react to certain things or why certain things trigger them or why they think about certain things in certain ways when they when they're watching reality tv you never know what people are thinking when they're watching these shows so when they react to certain things it's it's a presentation of something else do you get what i mean and so i've learned a lot about the way people think by the way they react to reality television Mm, i like i didn't i didn't expect that to happen and so the shift in my uh, podcast has gone more so from why do the reality stars do the shit that they do and it's gone more so to how do we as people or or what informs us as the audience to react the way that we do to these shows no that makes a lot of sense and it's again it's just you what how does human nature behave how do we react to human nature and how real is reality tv shows i mean that's that's another one of those big questions and yeah it's it's also interesting and it's something i don't often think about so that's why again when you reached out to me i was like oh this is a a new way to for me to think about reality tv and, and to frame it within my own life because again i'm not i i you know follow it to a certain extent and you know I watch clips and stuff on YouTube, but I'm not in that world as much as you are. Right. Because I'm sure that when I reached out to you, you were like, what the hell are you doing reaching out to me to do a podcast? I don't, nothing on my, nothing on my Instagram says anything about reality TV. Why are you reaching out to me? So so I'm sure that you were surprised, but now getting, so now I'll revert the question back to you getting to know me and like over the course of this conversation that we've had can you understand why I'm obsessed with your podcast now yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) also it's why I knew that this was going to be a good interview when I saw your content because I was like oh this person has a really great grasp on just whether you realize it or not human nature philosophy things that I'm interested and fascinated about and I was like, oh, I'm not concerned about where this is going to go at all. Like, you know, ask me about whatever, you know, we'll, it'll, the conversation will work because you're, you're a fully fledged human being. And like, that's Thank what you. I really with people is like, I, I want someone that's present and well versed in what they care about and, you know, everything else will fall into place. I appreciate that. Thank you so much because, you know, You've said something a couple times that I keep getting, like, surprised by. And it's not just because I'm bad at taking compliments. Thank you, by the way. (laughs) But it's because I just never thought of this when I was doing it. You said that, like, when you consumed my content or, like, when you looked at my um, content, you realized, like, 
you know, you've kind of gotten a grasp of who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that. Like, so I don't know if it's like you're talking about like my social media or if like you've actually looked at my YouTube channel because that's probably where you would get that impression from. But like when it comes to specifically like my Instagram, I don't think about how people are going to perceive me as a person when I'm curating the Instagram for my podcast. So hearing you say like you get a good grasp of who I am and then on top of that, that is something positive that is just a whole nother level of compliment but like just the fact that you're reading something about me as a person from like my feed like that is fascinating to me what do you see because I've never thought about that before I guess now knowing you know you you would have had to ask me at the beginning before I had really spoken to you but now it's more (laughs) sorry I'm not yeah um (laughs) It's more so you've done all the internal work, it seems now that I'm realizing. And you 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 don't rely on you're not projecting and hoping what somebody else is going to gauge. I guess it is of that that you didn't realize a lack of awareness in a good way. You don't care about how someone else is going to react and there's you're you're very honest. And you also are unapologetically interested in what you're interested in. And I don't know how to explain it. It's just, I get this, it's funny. People will ask me, like, they'll meet a new person and be like, tell me what you think of them. Because I can gauge right away if somebody is authentic or not. And you just seem really authentic. I wish I had a more tangible explanation about why I feel that way. But, and, yeah. That, 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 that's enough for me because I don't really like to me I'm a person who doesn't frame my content around my own personal perception so like what I mean by that is when I'm doing my my um, content like when I'm doing the um, podcast when I'm doing my YouTube channel I'm not thinking about what people are thinking of me do you Mm -hmm. get what I'm saying I'm more so just thinking about the content and the point of what I'm saying and why I'm saying it and what I'm doing. I'm more so thinking about is the work good? And I don't really ever think about how people are going to perceive me as a person. And that's the good thing about it. And I think that I don't want you to change that about yourself and start thinking like, oh no, what are people thinking about? But I think that that's the difference between someone that's putting out something into the world that matters because it matters to them versus someone that wants attention and you obviously we all want attention to some degree because we're all like deep down little broken children little you know (laughs) toys that wanted attention as a child but you know that's not your sole purpose and so I shamefully admit that sometimes I lose sight of the purpose and sometimes think attention first and foremost whereas I don't get that from you it's see it you have a genuine passion and so I think that that comes forth first and I think that sometimes that can be as you get bigger that can be tough to keep because you get uh suckered in by the numbers and the game and the whole thing so I don't know I just sort of keep that passion and wonderment because I think that's how you'll build more of a following and keep it authentic just as an outside perspective looking in thank you like i don't really you know have a lot of outside 
perspective with, with it, which is why I ask, because like I said, I'm a recluse, and I actually mean that kind of literally. Um, no, I'm, so, I'm very much a loner, too. I get it. Yeah, so, like, I mean that, like, kind of verbatim, but, um, but, um, so I don't really think about stuff like that, but, like, I just, that means a lot, and I really appreciate that, because, you know, I do battle with, you know, like, it is a thought uh, about the numbers and the things and the that, and even in that, it's less about, you know, a reflection on me. It's more so about getting the message out there. So I do kind of like get, like I, I struggle with that. But I think the relief for me is that regardless of the numbers, I know that I don't know how to function without being creative. Mm-hmm. So the reconciliation for me is I'm going to be making content whether anybody gives a damn or not because that's the only way I know how to function. It's like, how do you live without breathing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I always give the example of, yeah, like, (laughs) it's like living in a world of black and white versus color. Like, you know, it's just not the same. Right. So it's like my my mental understanding of myself as an individual is I know that I have to be creative to be functional and it's not just about me seeking attention it's beneficial to my mental health it's how I stay like 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 it's how I stay stable Mm -hmm. is creating things and doing things and like focusing on things and creating art and seeing things through that's why I have my hand in everything that I do from creating my own graphics to my cover art to my thumbnails to editing to doing all that because it's the creating it's the doing it's the work it's the creation of it it's the art of it right Mm -hmm. that's what that's where my passion lies that's where it is it's like getting that message taking the message taking the things that need to be said and then creatively and artistically structuring them into this presented thing this art piece this this thing like that that's where all of the happiness goes for me I'm never thinking about myself in that like and so I always wonder is that going to be like a detriment to me because I'm not someone who like 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 I said I am a reclusive minimalist who hates social media. Those things don't sound like I'm supposed to be in entertainment, right? Like, none of those things sound conducive. To me, that sounds like Prince. That sounds like Prince to me. He was a recluse that was living in his purple palace and where Minnesota or whatever. Yeah, Paisley Park. Yeah, I mean, there's so. I think also as you grow, as you, if, if you're able to really make this something that you want to pursue and pays off financially, then you can hire people to do that. That's personally something that I look forward to because I, the monotony of the day to day of social media and the followers and the whole, I'm also, yeah, it's not my thing. I also am, I hate to admit this, a bit lazy and I don't love editing. I don't love doing thumbnails. I don't love a lot of the t- 
tedious work. I love work. that stuff. I and love I'm that envious stuff. Of I love that. everything but the. I love everything except social media. I love everything except the analytics. I love everything except worrying about the fucking numbers. I love everything except except the promotion and the business part of it. But all the creative stuff, like creating the thumbnails and. the the artwork and the graphics and choosing the music and all of that stuff I live for like I I just did a completely new um, um, cover art for the podcast I did a new thumbnail background for the videos I I just gave my my, um, whole um, podcast new artwork and I am so proud of it because I just love like, like 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 I said, creating art pieces around a message. So it's the blend of like creating this really cool art piece that's my cover art or this thumbnail that goes along with this really impactful message that I want to have about reality TV and the complexities of the culture that it's created. I, I, I think that those two things are very instrumental parts of me when it comes to activism and then creativity I feel like those are the two things that if I had to say what's the one and one that makes two for me it's those two things social awareness and then art and I think that that's probably then what I was gauging from the vibe I got from you is that you genuinely do love it and when someone genuinely loves something I think it comes through even just the way they carry themselves even the comfort that they have within themselves and sort of just like you know you see it on some people I see it a lot with people on TikTok that are um, like artists like musical artists and they're just like with their guitar hairs just how disheveled the way that they feel comfortable and they're just you can tell that they're at peace with themselves and so sometimes that's the thing I gravitate towards with people is someone that's just at peace with themselves it doesn't mean they don't have bad days but 90% of the time they know who they are and they're comfortable with the 10% where they don't know who they are if that makes sense it makes perfect sense and I think the reason like I wasn't necessarily defining that as being at at peace with myself I think for me I just looked at it as having an understanding of who I am and just what I naturally give off in the world as somebody who has gone through their life trying to change who, who, who they naturally are, I've come to realize that there are just certain things that are just part of who I am, part of my character, part of what I'm going to give to the world. And I have to own, own and embrace that because I'm wasting my time trying to change it when it's always going to be ever present. And you know, to hear you say that it that it registers with you as peace with yourself, I think that gives me a level of relief that I think I'm that I was looking for probably in this past week. Like I've been struggling in the past week or so because I just not to say that I want instant gratification, but I but I'm someone who's doing this because I want to deliver a message. <laughs> And like I genuinely want to be impactful to people. So if I don't feel like I'm touching anyone, then I get depressed. Sure. So I don't, because it matters to you. That makes sense. Right. So I just kind of have been struggling with, am I touching people? Am I moving someone? Am I creating conversation? Am I doing something? Because listen, 
I do this show five days a week. Do mm-hmm. you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I do this show like a talk show for a reason because I want to one build a build a library of content quickly, and then two because I just it's been really beneficial for my mental health to just do these things in rapid succession my mind is always going it's like what's the next episode what's the next interview what's the next question what's the next intro whoa what's the next um uh link what's the next description of the podcast what's the next like this that and like like reach out to this person send this email do this graphic write this description like my mind is always moving and I think that it's been a good balance for me of like developing an active coping mechanism for my mental health while also creating a platform to actively pump out a message that is incessantly raking my brain. Yeah, and I think maybe then you need to take a step back sometimes and celebrate those small victories. Celebrate when someone sends you a nice comment or you get a little bit more views than usual. Maybe reframe the anxiety you feel around like, the, the growth aspect, the social media aspect and make it positive, like make it something that you can obviously don't get your whole worth tied up in it because sometimes you might get something that's cruel, but that's what I do. Like with my brother, someone that I talk to a lot that I bounce ideas off of and and when I get a nice message or people send me nice emails, I like tell him about it and I'm excited and he's excited for me. And you might not have someone, you know, you say you're more of a recluse, you might not have someone in your life that does that but celebrate with yourself treat yourself be like i'm gonna go get that coffee that i like or i'll order that tiny thing online that i like you know obviously you don't want to break your minimalism but reward yourself for the good things and make it more of a positive experience than a negative one that's what i've at least done to to make this a more enjoyable experience as i as i grow slowly but shortly and you know it's you get bad days you have good days everything in between i have to remember to do that because i think for me the reason why i don't ever think about doing that is because i don't do the things that i do for me like i don't like people think that you know when you say oh i do youtube oh i do a podcast oh i make music that it's self-serving and it's not like I have a whole mixtape out that has nothing to do with me. It, it's a it, 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 it's a love letter to queer people of color and our plight within America. Mm-hmm. So it's not like 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 everything that I do, I've always positioned as being bigger than me. So it's hard for me to celebrate myself in a platform that isn't really about me. Do you get what I'm saying? So I'm always the last person I'm thinking about when it comes to my own content because I'm not making it for me. Sure. And that makes sense because, you know, you want connection with people. But I don't know when I frame, I always say, like, if you're following the golden rule, which is being kind to others, you're also being kind to yourself because you're expecting everyone else around you to follow that same rule which means that you're preemptively taking care of yourself because you're expecting that someone else is going to be kind to you. So it's kind of a, maybe sometimes a gross way of thinking, but (laughs) even in like evolutionary biology standards, like we were designed to be altruistic, to be kind to others, to, to connect with others, to keep our kinship alive, to keep our tribe alive. 
like our altruism, our kindness is still always connected to us and our survival. So right. there's no shame in, or like there's no, it will serve you well, I think, if you connect what you're giving out to what you're receiving back. And it doesn't have to be a selfish thing. I think people use the word selfish so negatively sometimes. When selfish is a good thing. Selfish means you're taking care of yourself. Selfish means you're putting on your oxygen mask when the plane goes down and then you're helping other people after that. So I don't know. That's how I look at quote unquote selfishness or thinking about myself in content creation because you have to. If you're not going to do it, you're going to have a crash and burn. I love that you brought that up because the name of this podcast was almost selfishly relatable. (laughs) I'm so serious. Like, I took a break from my YouTube channel about four months ago because I was just really not in a good place mentally. I was in a really dark spot, and I was like, I can't create content about racism and about colorism and about transphobia and about murder and about things like that when I am mentally suffering from being afraid of all of those things happening to me right now. I can't do this right now I just can't so mm-hmm. I clocked out for about three months and I and in the midst of that time I I created an idea for a podcast called selfishly relatable where I just talk about the things that I feel or the things that go through my mind on a daily basis and the things that I struggle with but it's not necessarily like how I say before how like the majority of my content is bigger than me and I structure it that way I created this podcast that was well that podcast idea specifically not to be beneficial to anybody but myself I was going to be talking about things that I knew was going to be relatable to other people but selfishly I'm doing it all about me like it's just so I can talk through shit and just have somewhere to vent my issues and to vent and just talk about the things that I'm thinking and and just get it out and, and off of my, my um, chest. So that's why I called it selfishly relatable because like, yes, this is relatable and it's going to benefit somebody, but that's not the reason that I'm doing it. I'm doing it selfishly just to help myself. Sure. And I think that there doesn't need to be this purity with content where it's either good for me or good for them. I think it can be both because I, that's what a lot of my podcast is, is like, sometimes I feel so um, self-indulgent because it's mostly me talking about my problems and my, you know, my ailments and what I'm complaining about. But, you know, in my personal life, people have said, oh, it's interesting the way you frame your own issues and the way you look at the world. So I'm like, huh, if I can really complain and then also create content, you know, it's a win-win. So for me, I always came into it as this is good for me and this is hopefully good for somebody else. But it was ultimately maybe 60% me, 40% them. Eventually, I'd like to get to 50-50, but yeah, I think, <laughs> I think you need to embrace the, the you know, this is for me too thing. You know, it's funny that you say that because I, you know, I just lost my, my train of thought, but I, but it but it was something that you just said that it's crazy. Is it because, oh, there it is. The complaining part. That's what I relate to, of course. But <laughs> um, the, 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 the framework of the selfishly 
of the selfishly relatable idea was kind of based on what you what you just said about being able to complain and make content it kind of turned into that but i was basically going to do your podcast like i like hey like my like i see the the idea of (laughs) the idea of selfishly relatable was your show how your show works not necessarily how you do it but the idea of just talking about my life talking about what i'm going through the um, things that i'm feeling and just figuring out like how I can work my way through that and just talking my, myself through it. You have a much better way of doing that idea than, than, than I would have had. My podcast really would have been what was me. You actually had, you actually put in purpose into it. I would have just been bitching and complaining. So. But I think that that's the way you take in the world. I think that sometimes we all have a different way of like, internalizing information and then externalizing it back out I, I appreciate the compliment that's very nice of you to say that I'm, I, I'm, I'm an excellent complainer I will take that to you heart are, you really <laughs> are because like I even say it on this podcast to the people I'm like listen don't feel the need to be proper and professional and safe on this show because I call the housewives bitches all the time. Like I curse more than anybody should. Um, like you're in a safe space to act an ass here. But that's kind of taking that complaining and making content narrative is kind of how this podcast was born because I found out that people really like when I complain about housewives. People like when I complain about reality TV. People like when I bitch and moan about how tacky people's outfits are, how floppy folks' wigs are, or the fact that somebody tends to look a little racist. But I well, found we're gossipers that that, at heart. We like to gossip. We're human beings. We like to, to <laughs> we like to gossip. And you know what? I found out that people like the way that I gossip. So it just turned into this show where where it's like instead of me complaining about my life and it being really sad and sad and sad and depressing and me crying and cursing and bitching and having an existential crisis every episode, I figured that I could channel that rage into reality television. Something that everyone loves to some degree. So I decided to make my mania relatable. And here we are with real reality real. News. It all comes full circle. <laughs> All's well that ends well, right? <laughs> Hopefully this ends well. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> how do you define giving your best? Mm, um Again, what a good question. You do your homework. I like this. Um I do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take some of your uh, your notes with preparedness and come up with better questions for my own self when I interview myself. My, um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> my best. Huh. I think right now, because I'm trying to... So I'm doing like a Sober October challenge where I'm trying to like that was my be next sober. Question. Yeah, and then also... Um, <laughs> work on a few other projects within myself and so right now doing my best is doing a little bit better than yesterday so it's like as simple as like you know I injured my ankle so I walk a little a few more steps than yesterday um I'm weightlifting because that's really all I can do to exercise right now so I do at least one more rep than yesterday um writing a little bit longer than yesterday so 
my best will change when I'm sort of in a better headspace and like you know I can't run right now running is like my catharsis whereas like Mm. for you it's like content creation for me it's running like running keeps me sane running keeps me I love being outside I love nature like I grew up in an old farm like outside Mm. is like safety for me and so once I can get beyond get back to that and get beyond this sort of when in time of like a like a little bit of a lull in my life then Mm -hmm. doing my best will be a little greater a little bigger but right now it's it's just sort of small wins and I celebrate them even if it seems silly to anyone else in my life if I'm like I did one more rep today than yesterday like people in my life will be like okay loser people go to the gym for hours every day and I'm like no for me that's a big deal you might not get it that's fine but like I'm excited about it and that's how I keep up the momentum to try again the next day if I'm in a sort of a more of a negative headspace I'm excited for you thank you uh, of course how sober October going it's going I mean I'm still sober (laughs) (laughs) I love that for you thank you I don't love it for me but it's (laughs) it's something I wanted to do you know, if we're human beings, we sometimes use alcohol as a crutch, and I like to make sure I'm never too attached to anything, so I wanted to take a break from drinking, and yeah, the, last night was the first night that I felt any sort of inkling to drink, and it was because I was I wanted to write, and when I want to write, I want to feel a little more like loosey-goosey, and I write to like music, that's how I get motivated. And so music just sounds a little a little better when you're drinking, you know? It sounds a little more fun, a little lighter, and I couldn't do that. And so that was a bummer, but you know, I it is what it is. And I want I'd rather complete my challenge than like edit my book for a half an hour, you know? It's in the grand scheme of things, the self-discipline I'll get from doing this is greater than editing my book that I can do this next week and I'll catch up on what I need to do anyway and so it really doesn't matter that and the self-discipline that you're going to get from completing the the, um, challenge is ultimately going to benefit your book in the end yeah I think so and I hope so because I'm someone where I really like to prove to myself that I can do this and especially if I go the self-publishing route that's a lot of self-discipline that's a lot of me marketing myself it's a lot of me getting in front of the camera more and having to self-promote and so right. I'll need that self-discipline to do it. Yeah, and you know what? The reason why I asked about Sober October is because I am inspired by that. And I feel like I, that's something that I probably need to do for my own self for all of the same reasons that you mentioned is because, you know, I like to create content when I'm feeling, you know, a little bit looser, when I'm feeling a little bit more more, more relaxed and, and then I also am somebody who gets things done when I'm, you know, engaging. So, oh yeah. <laughs> so I feel like right. So like I get things done. So like it's that on top of not wanting to develop the 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 attachment or being too attached or not wanting anything to become less than to become anything more than minimal in my life. So 
when I heard you talking about that on the show, I was like, oh, that's good. Oh, I need to try that. Oh, that makes so much sense. Oh my God, you're speaking to my soul. What's left of it, but you're speaking to it. Speak, child. Yeah. Now, now, thank you. Well, you, you said you battled extremism when it comes to your drinking, and I relate to that when it comes to my social skills. Um, I, I'm either the life of the party or I'm a complete recluse. And then, I, then like I also get that when it comes to just the way that I engage as well. So I say all of that to say, does the extremism play into your motivation to do your podcast? And if so, how do you navigate that? Because it, at least for me. I'm scared that I psych myself into not doing the podcast when it's the only thing that I'm creating that I'm proud of right now. Yo, I can relate to that 100%. I am someone that I will... So I'm a dreader. I dread anything that I put on my calendar. I don't know why. (laughs) Yes. I hate it. so infuriating to me because it's stuff that matters to me. It's stuff I want to do. Like you said, it's something you're proud to put out. I am really bad with routines and I'm really bad with schedules. What I mean is like, I am an all or nothing person. I have no balance ability. So that's why I like, like the, I'll have to do 50 things in a day. Like I need to follow this routine. Everything needs to be super regimented. And so when one thing falls apart, I fall apart. So it can kind of work well in the creative sphere because with podcasting you have to have this like flow of routine so that it gets published and done and done appropriately right but there's always this thing in my brain that i go oh god i'm gonna have to turn the camera on or i'm gonna turn my microphone on and then i'm going to not know what to say i'm going like i will think of any excuse in my brain not to do it and yeah, I think it's just my natural, it's A, I have that panicky personality and B, it's like my extremism. Like I'm naturally just a very extreme, intense person. And so tasks are hard for me. Like just, it's hard to explain because some people don't get it, but like regular daily life stuff for me is a little bit more difficult than most people. So for me to go get through a successful day, I'll need, you know, 120% of my energy, whereas somebody might need 75% of their energy. And so it's from the outside looking in, it sometimes seems like I'm lazy when in reality, my brain's going a million miles a minute. I just can't make those actionable steps to doing it, if that makes sense. It makes 100% sense for me because I get that extremism and I get the needing the energy to do it because for me it's like on the extremism side of it it's like if I'm going like 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 I like I'll come up with the idea to create a podcast but I can't just create a podcast I have to create a podcast that that I put out new episodes five days a week and then film a recap show for for my YouTube channel that that airs on Sunday so now not only as so, 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 like, not only do I do a podcast, I, I work on that podcast seven days a week. Do you get what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. That extremism of, like, you just create something, now it has to become your entire life for me. But I'm also the, the um, ty- type of person 
where it's much easier for me to sit here and do the interview with you for four hours at a time than it is for me to vacuum the floor that's going to take me 10 minutes oh 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 yeah I am I think we all have those tasks that like for me it's putting away clothes clean clothes yes that is laundry the most impossible task it's funny how yeah or even now like before I was going to get on the call with you my brain goes to all of the things I should have done earlier in the day my brain will go oh I should probably do all these things in five minutes before I get on the call and it's like why is my brain like this like why why do I even think I could do this like what's wrong with me do you find it easier to record the podcast or film a video oh this is the bane of my existence um (laughs) recording is easier but video is better engagement it's better in general sorry if you hear a dog barking that's my brother's dog I apologize it's all um, good. Mine is usually sleeping on the floor of my 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 um, car. So like seven times out of ten, when you listen to my podcast, there's a chance that you can hear my dog snoring. <laughs> it's all good. You get the dog life. I completely get it. <laughs> but no, I what was I saying? I don't even remember. Filming a video versus oh. recording re- re- a podcast, and and how you hate it all. I'm no, honestly, I know. I I realize I am. It's weird. This is why I say I'm like an eternal optimist, but also like gloom and doom. Like I've always been this way where it's like, you're the happiest sad person yeah, ever. It, exactly. It, I completely it get it. But no, I need to get better with filming video. I think the problem is the logistics of doing it. And I bought a camera, like a nice camera that I've had for a while, but I need to get an adapter to use my SD card to transfer the files over. I need to connect my microphone. You know, it's the whole thing. You get it. It's, it's like logistically. Process, yes. It's the process. Like, I completely get that because for me, it's, it's that. It's, it's the getting set up. It's the editing. It's getting it right. It's the vocals. It's the getting everything right. It's getting it's, you know, doing all the points, making sure that it's with a certain time frame. And then it's the editing and it's getting everything right and making sure that everything sounds right and it looks right and this goes and it's not too long and you don't spend too much time on a certain point and you cut the right thing out and you don't cut out too much. It's so much and it's so physically and mentally draining. Preparing a video to go to YouTube recording a podcast is so much easier i can just get on the mic talk put it out it's so much easier for me and then on top of that the mental anxiety of looking good on camera (laughs) oh yeah girl effort the effort and if you look at my youtube channel you see i don't make much Listen, neither do I. I'm always some level of disheveled. And maybe that'll be the good motivation of creating a drag persona of me. We'll be like, that'll be, I'll make it fun instead of make it a chore. Of course. Because I feel like for me, I've gotten to a place in my life where like people, like I, let me not say that. But what I will say is I've gotten to a point where myself where my self-acceptance level has gotten to a point to where I, I'm like, as long as my hair looks good, I really don't give a damn if I, uh, it, 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 if I look like the, 
the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> in the fucking face. Long as my hair looks good, I'm good. Fine. Like, I, I will come on this pop. Like, come, come on camera. No makeup. Child. Ashy. Probably not wearing pants. But this hair will look sickening. This hair See, will look perfect. I like that motivation because I don't even know if I have that motivation. I've gotten, like, I... So where I film sometimes, well, at least in the summer, it's super hot. So I look shiny. I look like a little disco ball. And then my hair is always disheveled because like I'm before I have some, I would always like run before. So I'd have like a horrible butt. But yeah, I've realized like people do care about the way you present yourself and you do get more views when you look nice. What a shock. When you look better. What a shock. Imagine. Imagine. I know. Bizarre, right? wild wild what type of what type of Chinese medicine is what type of neurological science are you preaching here what type of Kabbalah is this what, I love it <laughs> what the Scientology is happening to this conversation no but like I completely get it so like I, like and then on top of that with me personally to that point it plays into my psychology and my dysmorphia because it's like I'm also somebody who's trans when you hear the word trans you automatically think oh you're you're transitioning from male to female or from female to male so if I don't look like a stereotypical woman in my video all of a sudden there's all these questions about my my transness and this and this and mind you None of this has actually really happened. This is just my psychosis and my neuroses. But I'm thinking, well, if well, I don't look like a trans woman or a passable cis woman or anything like that. I look androgynous, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which you would think as somebody who identifies as gender neutral would be okay with that. But because I also acknowledge that I'm trans as a specific signifier of me being neutral, that's like a specific part of it that does play a part in it because it's easier for people to understand me saying that I'm trans than it is for me to say that I'm neutral, right? So a lot of the times I'll just say that I'm trans because I don't have to explain what being transgender is. A lot of the times I have to stop and explain what being neutral is and say that be, say that what it really is is that I'm gender neutral but I'm transitioning to androgynous so I'm trans and this but it's the same thing and it's because of this like that takes a whole nother 10 minutes that I don't want to take talking about that well it's a lot of mental energy that not a lot of people I think think of because they go about their day they go to Starbucks they go to their job they never have to explain their their gender gender expression their sexuality they never have to explain any of that Right. And I constantly have to be like, okay, so I don't like, yes, I am transitioning. Yes, I'm on hormones, but I'm not trying to look like a cisgender female. I am androgynous. Like, it's a whole other thing. Like, I'm not trying to look like a male or a female. I'm not trying to look like either. Like, the question of is my comfort space. Like, like it's so much to explain and it's so much extra talking about things that you want to just be a natural part of your life that, that, that you don't want to have to explain. So it makes it easier for me to just not go on camera because now I, I don't have people questioning, well, what are you? Because those are the questions that I do get. It's like, 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 
like, it's never, oh, you don't look this, or you look that, or you da-da-da. It's more so, what exactly are you? Because I can't tell, like, Mm. the crazy part is, is that the goal is presentational androgyny, but when I get questioned about looking androgynous, it infuriates me because I now, now, now I have to explain. That's is there weird a, to me. a way that people? Is there a pre- preferential way that you prefer if someone will ask you? The a way I, that is respectful to you? I don't have a preferential way. Like okay. I like, like for me, ah, like ah, ah. I personally don't have preferred pronouns. Mm-hmm. I just prefer that you get my name right. Yeah. Right? And because of that journey, I can't erase my male past or me living or presenting as a man. So I can't erase he pronouns from my existence because I do give a lot of masculine energy. I am like a pretty butch when I want to be. Do mm-hmm. you get me? But then at the same time, femininity is a natural part of my existence that's always been there that I've been denied so now that I'm living in the realism of that now people expect that to be the only presentation that I have so it so, so it just becomes a mind fuck when it's like I'm just androgynous just let me be androgynous girl like just let me be like or just, just let me live just say that I'm attractive don't ask me what I'm trying to give like do I look good or not don't but worry I think about people, what I'm trying to look like. Sure. Unfortunately, people like to have an answer so they can immediately decide what they think of you and put you in a box or, you know, and it's unfortunate because I experience that at a very tiny, teeny, tiny level because I'm more traditionally, I think, masculine than most girls. Like, I, you wouldn't really know it if I had full face of makeup and had the whole outfit, but, but it's I the energy. think... Yeah, I think more like a man. I get along like with guys sometimes more. And it's a lot of people don't quite get it. But obviously, I don't express myself as any other gender. So it's never an issue. Do you know what I mean? Like unless I am speaking about it, then I can go about my day and live, quote unquote, normally and not be asked about it. So I have that privilege per se of, of not having to experience what you do because the you you are an enigma and you're like that amalgamation of masculine feminine which I think we all have if only we just get over ourselves and just embrace each side and yeah. then we could all just move on and ha- live a happier life and-, and see that's what I'm hoping to kind of inspire people when it comes to how people perceive me as a person is I really want people to not care about like masculinity femininity do I give man woman I want people to more so focus on what kind of person I am like am I a good person am I talented am I entertaining am I funny am I an asshole like one way or the other I just don't want it to be revolved around gender and sex and genitalia and like all of that type of shit because none of that matters when it comes to the way that I present myself, the way that I do my content, the way that I operate in the world, the way that I carry myself. I don't ever think about any part of my life and think, does 
does this make me look masculine? Does this make me look feminine? Does this make, do I look like a man right now? Do I look like a woman? Like, I don't think about that stuff. Ah, I just get the hell up and get dressed. Like, I just opera, like, ah, 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 I just move through life. I do my hair the way I do my hair. I wear makeup. I don't wear makeup. Like, I don't think about my presentation in context of gender. I think about just, or like the way that I carry myself throughout the world. I never think about presenting myself or being perceived as a man or a woman. I more so think about, am I talented? Is this entertaining? Is this impactful? What do you receive from this? Like, what can I you know teach or implement into the world and I never think about that type of stuff like even down to being red is you know being attractive or being sexy or like being I don't ever think about that stuff but it's so important when it comes to everybody else yeah I I think that also it sounds like you've just evolved beyond like aesthetics matter but they're not defining to you it's almost like you know like you're like a pokemon you've evolved to your third level your highest Pretty form much. well i'm more of a digimon but you okay. know same difference <laughs> <laughs> i was a pokemon nerd okay i had my little workbook and all of my cards were laminated you're my husband's friend because <laughs> he's a pokemon person i was a digimon person we still argue about it to, to this day and we're in our 30s the drama of it all the drama he still tries to pick on me for 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 being a beyblade fan and i'm like but you won't battle me battle me right now the digimon and beyblade i okay i know exactly what kind of kid you were i can visualize it now now you get it right (laughs) (laughs) those were my shows right so so i'm like you want to talk all this shit but you won't rip it right now though battle me right now See, we were the softer nerds. We were uh, quietly playing with our Pokemon cards. You had a little more oomph to you. I was out here battling hoes in the streets, one <laughs> damn parking lot with uh, Beyblades. I was out here digivolving. I, I was out here in, in the world trying to save folks. <laughs> now listen, I heard on your recent bonus episode that, that you struggle with feeling you're too much. Yeah. And I have been told that I am too much my entire life. We've 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 kind of spoken about this in the episode where I kind of am struggling with the things that I've always been told I should um, constrict or pull back are the things that people want more of from me when it comes to my content. Do you find? that the things you've been told you're too much for have begun to work out to be beneficial to your content? Yeah, and even more so just in my life. Like, I basically, up until about two years ago, I sort of just, like, wasn't my real personality. Like, I had formed a personality that wasn't mine. I don't know any other way to explain it. It was bizarre. I totally get that personal you know uh revelations in my life and had some some good things fall into place and I realized oh I haven't been me for years since I was like eight and you know that's when societal norms usually kick in for girls and you know it's like 
everything's you know pink and girly and and then middle school happens and it's all about boys and you know you lose your friendships with girls because everyone's battling over boys and (laughs) and I sort of just lost myself along the way and I still you know had fun had fun in college you know was fun but I was never really myself I was never really 100% in it and so And I had a lot of experience as a kid growing up, like, I had adults tell me, like, you're annoying, like, stop talking. Like, I had teachers make fun of me. Um, I had, you know, girls basically tell me, you know, stop doing, like, skits with the other girls and with your friends and you're annoying. Like, no one likes you, essentially. And so that was, like, a constant feeling that I had. And when you're the only person feeling you know different and like oh you like more theatrical stuff and you like having you know you like riffing I was essentially doing like improv as a kid I didn't realize it but that's what I was doing same yeah and you realize like oh other people don't like this they're going to tell you about it and it had nothing to do with me I wasn't annoying I might have been a little too much and maybe sure there was a time and a place for like character work but right it wasn't me and so that was like a big thing also I learned in therapy is if I go to a place and I don't quite fit in it doesn't mean I'm broken it just means that's not the place for me and those aren't the people for me it doesn't mean they're bad people per se but it's not for me and so I'm still literally just returning on essentially who I was when I was like eight I'm like refinding out that person because that was the kid that I liked that was the person that was me and so I'm sort of going backwards if that makes sense it makes 100% sense because I feel like I'm doing the exact same thing in my own life you know I feel like for me I suffered through that on a couple different levels because I went through my life presenting a version of what I perceived a man to be I like I went through life perceiving or I went through life presenting what I perceive masculinity to be. Do you get what I mean? Sure. And so I was going through life presenting as a man that I never was. And then as I went through life, there was a lot of those characteristics that I thought I was presenting that was just naturally... like. I used to think growing up that I was only being myself at home, right? Mm -hmm. I thought that when I walked out into the world, I was presenting this man who was this cool, you know, whatever, kind of reclusive, mysterious, tuxedo mask type of dude, like just mysterious to himself, right? As I grew up, I realized I was a lot more myself than I even realized and that was because I couldn't hide a lot of my natural proclivities like I couldn't help that I was a natural theatrical person I couldn't help that like you were saying I would be doing improv in in my conversations with people because I wanted so desperately to be liked I realized that people liked me better when I was funny so Mm -hmm. I leaned into the fact that my comedy was reactionary So I would always look for, like, even in conversations with my friends, I would look for areas in their, in what they were saying to jump in and be funny because that's when people liked me. So I found my, 
I found myself going through life not even operating on a human level to where I now have trouble connecting to people because it's less about me listening to what you're saying and it's more so about me finding a way based on what you're saying to make you like me. It's me finding a way to interject what you're saying to make myself impressionable. And so it's like there's this disconnect from me and people because I'm not having a genuine experience with with anyone. It's like I'm auditioning at every step of my life. Oh, yeah. I call that for me being the court jester. I would find a way to be entertaining to everyone in any way. And I'd be like, perfect. That means you like me then, right? Right. It meant they would tolerate you, but it didn't mean that they would necessarily like you. And And that's one thing that I've found throughout my life is because it's like oh people would tolerate me and at that moment they would laugh at what I said they would engage in like conversation but I was that kid in school who I thought I had friends when I went to school but then when I went home I didn't have anybody to like call on the phone and talk to I didn't you know have friends on the phone that I would call and like plan how we were going to match outfits the next day I didn't get invited to people's parties or like get or I'm like get invited to like go to the mall with the group of friends that I would spend all day talking to in school trying to impress and make them laugh and make them like me. They never like hung out with me outside of school. Like I was the person who thought I had friends in school, but I never had friends outside of school. Do you get what I mean? Sure, because you probably made it seem like you were either confident and already had other friends or that you were entertainment and then you know, they didn't have a need to call you later because they had other people. A lot of, I, I relate to that completely as well. And I probably did myself a disservice because I probably set myself up as the person who appeared to be confident or who was so unbothered because I, you know, whatever. And it was more so like I was trying to convince people that my personality was so cool that I wanted you to have, like, I wanted you to want me around. But yet I probably set myself up as somebody who was distant and who just engaged in certain activities the way that I engaged in them. And it's just, I, it's interesting how you react to things and how it kind of sets up the way that people perceive you and how those things tend to align or not align with each other. Because it seems for me, the way that I was trying to engage with people and be a part of the group was the thing that was separating me from everyone at the same time and I never knew that until I got older and ran through a lot of therapists (laughs) and I think that that's always the case is you and I'm dealing with that now is the fact that I have a lot of anger about the time that I wasted you know being somebody else like oh I'm dealing with that now caring that other people cared yeah it's it's annoying it's seriously annoying like I and you know what it's crazy now because the mind fuck for me is that I spent my entire life being a caricature trying to be liked. yet now my entire life and choice of career is being a character trying to be liked. yeah but I think that's the ultimate irony and I think it's also the ultimate reason why so many like broken people get into entertainment and especially stand-up comedy they now have the reins they are in control we are in control of the of the uh of what we say of what the um you know i'm trying to think of the word 
you know, sort of what we produce and put out. We're, con- we're in control of the narrative. That's the word I was looking yeah. for. And so now it's this feeling of like, oh, now we know who we are. We can be vulnerable on our own terms. We can find our own group of people that respond to us. And it's like writing the wrong of, of childhood, which I think we're all ultimately doing in our own way anyway. And, you know, it's the thing that will set us free. That's exactly how I feel about drag. That's why I feel most comfortable doing drag, which is why I ended up just channeling all of the other things that I do in my career through my drag. Because the character of it all allowed me a space to be safe within myself, to allow myself to go to the places that I needed to go. And it goes back to that thing of, you know, it goes back to that thing of like the thing that you think is your detriment is the thing that like people like about you so the fact that me almost being a character separated me from having friends or real interactions as a kid it's now become the basis of my success as an entertainer and it's also become kind of like that boundary for me from becoming too attached to fans and the perception of the people. Like, I feel like that's why hate comments don't bother me. That's why I feel like people can say whatever they want on my on my Twitter, on my Instagram, or, 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 or what have you. And it, it doesn't bother me. Like, 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 I feel like it's also given me that thick skin, but it's also created this mental mind fuck in my head of like, it damaged me mentally, but it also set me up to be successful in my career because the same thing that has given me a lot of mental blockage, social anxiety, all of those, mild agoraphobia, and and like all of those things, it's also become the same things that are like the pros of why I'm such a good entertainer. Like those things are like why I'm a good drag queen, why... I think I'm a good interviewer, why I think I'm a good podcaster, why I think that I'm a good creative is because of all of those things. So balancing that and coming to some sort of stillness with that, it, that's, that's been really hard for me. But I think it'll be ever-changing as you go through life and new pains come up. And I think that's ultimately why I have to make a career of a creative career to harness that pain and make it worth it because if I can make a living doing this then it makes everything that happened before worth it and also I'm a sort of like a childish vindictive person and like it proves everybody wrong it proves everyone that made fun of me wrong and I know that's sometimes not the best motivator but for me it's a powerful motivator because it just it solidifies that who I was was okay all along you know what I mean? Like it, it proves that to me and then to other people and it closes that sort of like pain loop, you know, and then you, as you grow older, things will change, new challenges will come up and then you're, you'll deal with those as they come. But once you can sort of, you know, close that door, you, you feel a little freer, a little lighter. And so I'm looking forward to that door closing. And I think it will come for me with finding out more of who I am as a person, my own voice, my own voice character per se my my drag self that will come out uh, you know as as I feel more comfortable with who I am as a person what are your self motivators 
Mm. Proving people wrong is a big one, and I don't like that. that. Um, Oh, then I probably shouldn't say that I love that because I completely relate to that. It's a, I think it's a powerful motivator, and a lot of people. You know that I I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts, and a lot of them are definitely motivated by, you know, proving other people wrong. And yeah, I guess for me, it's also I just love completing things. Like I love the feeling of completing a project, just proving to myself that I can do it. I guess it's building that self discipline. I've always been really invested in self discipline and motivation. I'm a little bit of a sadist, you know. I'm Russian, so we all sort of love suffering and the cold a little too much. And I so I think <laughs> Yeah, it's just in my it's in my nature. And so I like to just prove to myself and sort of build, you know, up that resiliency. So it's more so just a personal growth thing. Right. Speaking of self discipline, how do you condense such impactful content into thirty minutes or less? Because I am completely in awe of how you do that. It's how my brain works. I wish I could give you a better thank you, by the way. It's it's just, okay. I'm, I'm also horrible at taking compliments. My brain will immediately go to, no, what's a compliment? Hey. How is that? How am I going to, you know, intrinsically take that? Right. But yeah, I've always been bizarrely deep and bizarrely intense. And I also think that is another reason why as a child, I turn people off. Because I we always would have been was, best friends. Like oh my god! I know. I feel like we were the star-crossed best friends from yes from different time zones. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I I just um I was so as a kid I was obsessed with death. I so part of my thing is I have severe OCD. So part of growing up, I would constantly think about like death dying like oh my god we're all getting closer to as we get older dying and like the next time I see my family they're going to be older and then we're all so it was this bizarre like cyclical thinking and so I think I've just naturally been sort of like a 1860s like diphtheria tuberculosis child that's very deep and intense and like on the brink of death and and I just grew into that person as an adult and so I am obsessed with psychology I'm obsessed with science neuroscience why we do the things that we do and my brain is going a million miles a minute so even as I'm talking to you I'm like okay how can I relate this back to this topic this topic this topic I'm trying to get better in being present but I think I just have always been really on and intense and maybe in a quieter way than you are intense but I have a very rich internal world and like I've just started verbalizing it over the past two years and I think people are really like bizarrely fascinated about how I have an entirely different place I go to in my head and the word I get a lot of people describe me as eccentric so that's that's mm. usually what I roll with see I've always been described as flamboyant mm. <laughs> and you know what it as you were sitting there describing that, it made me think of a movie that I feel like you as a person, I feel like you understood this 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 movie way too much, like like I did growing up. The movie Girl Interrupted. You know, it's hysterical. I've never seen it, but I need to see it. And read the book. You I need, have the book. 
you need to read the book. You need to see the movie because I feel like you're Susanna Kaysen and I'm Lisa Rowe. Okay. And when you read the book and you watch the movie, just shoot me a message and just tell me how you feel about that statement. That's all I'll say. Okay. Now you've, <laughs> now you've forward. I love it. You're giving, I, I literally am writing this down as you're giving me suggestions because I, I feel like sometimes people can give you such a better, they can't tell you who you are, but they can lead you to who you are. If that makes sense. And I feel like that's why I live my life in, in like cliches and references because I can't really tell you necessarily who I am to your point it's more so I can tell you who inspired me to be what I am do you get what I mean like I I can tell you where this proclivity comes comes from or where this thought process comes from or where this inspiration comes from or why I process or think or react to, to things the way that I do it's because I understand them through different lenses that come through references so for me, it's like, I can't necessarily give you the advice, but I can give you the point of media or the, or the point of reference that helped me come to the, come to the understanding that I have. Um, but yeah, sure. Girl Interrupted will probably be, you'll, you'll probably hit me back and you'll be like, I understand this movie way more than I'm supposed to. And, um, and I'll just be like, yeah, girl, I know. Oh, told you so. Told you. <laughs> And the reason why I feel that way is because when you said, what specifically gave me that inclination was when you said, um, you have this intensity within you and you feel like it's not at, it's a quieter intensity than I do, than I have. And it made me think about the dynamic of Susanna Kaysen and with Lisa Rowe. And they are two sides of the same coin but whereas Susanna is more quiet and introverted and she expresses a lot of the same feelings to herself, Lisa Rowe is a person who expresses those feelings outwardly and to people and in a way that might not be the most easily digested, Mm -hmm. which is completely my aesthetic. So I think you'll understand what I'm saying after you see and read that because it'll make, you'll, you'll, you'll ingest those characters and I feel like you'll understand Susanna a lot. Okay. I'm going to have to check this out and check out the dichotomy between the two. All right. I I have like all my homework. I'm excited. This is like self-development homework. I'm a nerd. I love homework. As a kid, I was like, more homework? This is awesome. I was that kid too, but only about certain things. Like, 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 I was the only person probably on earth that was excited about math homework i was like yes work now the name of your podcast is such an earworm but it's because it speaks to me so much Mm -hmm. the happiest sad person i feel like if you could describe my personality as a drag artist or as a performer or as an entertainer that is what it is because it's outwardly I think people would think that I'm a lot happier or a lot more peaceful well not peaceful but a lot more positive or happy or excited and bubbly than I actually am in real life Mm -hmm. and I think people when they when they interact with me they they get a genuinely positive fun experience with 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 me which i like 
but sometimes it's surprising when people say that they have such a positive experience with me because I ingest myself as a really dark and depressed person. <laughs> so how did you come up with the name and how much does the name speak to you? Because it hit me hard. Yeah, I feel like I could definitely see why you vibe with it. I to... <laughs> I'm trying to remember... It's so funny. It's been such a long time since I came up with a name and I don't remember, remember how I did. I wish I had a good, st- I'm going to have to like go through my like mind palace of memory of trying to figure out why I named it that. But I think I was just going through names of things that described the juxtaposition of what it means to be a human being. And so I think that's how it came up. But I think that's to some degree, it's all artists that are the happiest sad people you know it's yeah we go through these wild uh, moments of melancholy and then we're euphoric i mean to me it's like the version the example i could give on steroids would be like the great gatsby where there's there's those raging parties and everyone's drinking to excess and it's beautiful and glittery you know that's the euphoria and then the come down is those dark moments those quiet conversations those really sad moments and then those those times when you realize Gatsby really isn't who you think he is. And so that's sort of like, I think, what it is to be an artist. It's just, it's this wild ride you have to go on and you have to figure out how to harness your emotions and make them work for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm always someone too, I'm an extreme optimist even when I'm at my darkest points, because it's just, for some reason, I'm always like in my brain, I'm like, you have to keep going. There's no other option. Like, even if there's a, you know, a negative spin on it, like for a while I was an optimistic nihilist, which is basically like, okay, the world's over, the world is ending, but who cares the world's ending? Nothing matters because that's great because I can do whatever I want. So it's still, there's an optimistic spin on it. And it's funny like like you said you never think you're the person that comes across as sort of happy optimistic and I feel the same way when I talk to people and they go you motivated me so much you're like oh my god like you're so excited happy optimistic in my mind I don't feel that but ever yeah but it somehow comes out and maybe that's still that people pleasing nature in me or maybe it's just I'm naturally optimistic about the future because there really is no other option but to be optimistic whether it's about the future of the earth or the world or america or the future of me in general of how i will go on to live in the future and it's bizarre because i it's funny as a kid i never could visualize my adulthood like it's weird it's almost like after i graduated college like in my mind my future was like black it's weird like i couldn't I always like look forward to going to college and I loved school and I loved, but I couldn't think of what I would do as an adult. And so I think that was sort of something I should have looked to as a, a red flag that maybe I had some issues I needed to work through and I needed to realize like I needed to, to think about what my purpose is on this earth and then tailor my future to that. But I didn't realize that until it was too late and after and I was like, oh my God, where do I go from here? See, I think for me, it was 
the complete diametric opposite. I think I spent my entire life knowing exactly where I wanted to go, exactly what I wanted to do, exactly the path I wanted to take, and exactly where I wanted to end up. And I had such blinders on that I didn't consider there being any other options or anything else that I would want or anything that would distract me from doing it. And then when it didn't work out, everything just crashed in on me. Like I imploded. Mm. Like like the like the example that I gave you of when I hit puberty and I realized that I wasn't intersex because I thought that like you said at eight years old it was, eight years old was when I realized that my gender wasn't set up the way that I thought it was mm-hmm. because I grew up at least up until eight years old processing and thinking about the world as if I was a girl like I still say unto the like like it people still laugh when I say this to this day that I've always gone through the world processing men as if I wasn't biologically born one I could see that I mean I've never experienced it that way but I mean that makes sense to me yeah like I've always gone through the world addressing men as if I didn't societally look like one or if I was not assigned one at first do you get me so mm-hmm. for me by the time that I turned eight and realized oh my genitalia situation is different and then I kind of did my own research and then came to the came to the came to to, to the thought process that I was intersex and then once I hit puberty and my breast didn't grow that crash that implosion that was my first wave of that and so you then, sort of had expectations that you always thought you'd hit and then you'd be devastated when they didn't happen one million percent and that's how it's like completely opposite from what you were saying where it's like you were always doing the work doing the work but not necessarily knowing where it was going to get you i was always the person who was solely focused on going in one direction completely tunnel vision and then when that didn't happen I had no clue how to cope no clue how to recover no clue how to even balance because this is all I know yeah we ended up in the same place with different uh but with completely different paths there yeah Yeah, I think for me too, it was all, sorry, it was also a sense of like, especially for girls, there's societal expectation for an adult that you get married and have kids. And that was something that seemed really scary and daunting and miserable to me. And so I think I always also, maybe I didn't have any plans to, because in my mind, I had blocked out my future because I was dreading it. Because in my mind, there was one way to live and it wasn't what I wanted because I just saw sacrifice and misery ahead of me. And so I'm like, what is, what's the point of being an adult? What else is that? Yeah. Yeah. Why you would I do that? Models. Yeah. If you're in suburban towns or small town, there's not much. And you probably felt the same way with your, with the way you presented yourself and how you wanted to find yourself. There wasn't a role model until you said like, fit, until you were 15. Yeah. There wasn't a role model until I met my, met my first trans woman, joined my first gay house and actually got to engage with someone who thought in the ways that I thought. I was like, wow, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person who feels like this. Because of course, especially at 15, we all think that that we're the only one going through everything. Oh, of course. 
<laughs> but do you consider your podcast to be self-help? Oh, I would. I, that's tough because I would never want to ascribe myself as the as a self-help guru. I hate that word or expert or even mediocre self-help person. The authority figure. Yeah, because I then think you go down a slippery slope of like, it can turn into a cult real fast, like a Tony Robbins style. (laughs) Which isn't my cup of tea, but some people you know, they they enjoy it. But I consider it under, I guess, the category of self-help, but I wouldn't describe myself as somebody that is well-versed in teaching someone how to be better. I more so am detailing my own journey and maybe down the line, if I gain some sort of expertise or like am better at something, if that makes sense, or like if I taught a class about writing or something, that's something I'm confident in saying that I'm well-versed in and can teach. But no, I... I'd rather be humble at this point. Who knows? Maybe my humility will go out the window if I get a larger following, but no. At this point, it's the category of self-help and then me not being anyone that's an expert in self-help. Well, I'll offer you this as a bit of advice because it's something that has helped me remain humble, but also not become defeated when I don't reach a certain level of success that I feel like I want or should be at. I'll say this. Some people don't need help getting to the goal. Some people need help getting through the journey. Mm, I like that. And I think that sometimes we, we do ourselves a disservice by not recognizing all of the work and effort and sacrifice went into getting through the journey even though we thought that it was getting to the goal we had to just get through the day we had to just get through the moment we had to get to the next step we had to get to the next achievement and for me I tell myself this all the time because I I have to say to myself even if I never become a huge podcast even if I never become a huge YouTuber even if I never become a successful, huge, touring the world drag queen to, 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 the, to the standards that I want to be at, even if I never, you know, produce my own TV shows or, you know, build my own podcast network or, you know, have a radio show, even if I never do all of the things or, or you know, reach all of the goals that I want to accomplish, I still feel like the work that I've put in, the, the, the content that I've created the stories that I've told, the conversations that I've had, the videos that that I've made are still impactful and it still can touch people and it still can help someone get to whatever their next, next is. Do you get what I'm saying? Just because I don't have a million subscribers doesn't mean that my YouTube channel isn't impactful. Just because you don't have 10 million listeners or you know, 10 million downloads to your podcast right now doesn't mean that it's not helping someone. Because I'm here to tell you it's helping me. And it's a big reason why I asked you to come on my show because I I still struggle with feeling like I'm the only one that, that's feeling or thinking the way that I'm thinking. And to hear somebody just wax honest about not being okay all the time 
mm-hmm. that by itself was is is so helpful to me because I feel like I have to be okay all the time. I have to be okay because I have an eight-year-old daughter. I have to be okay because I have three dogs to take care of. I have to be okay because my husband is out working because he drives trucks and I have to hold down the household. So if I don't hold it together, who is? I have to be okay. But I'm not okay all the time. I'm not okay. And so just hearing somebody else just say, like, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm trying to be my best self. I am working towards a goal. I am trying to do something. I am hearing somebody say that they are actively on a journey is so beneficial to me. So I do want to impart that on you. Like some people don't need help getting to the goal. Some people don't need to know how to get from A to Z. Some people need to know how to get through A, B, C, and D. Thank you, first and foremost. That makes sense and I think that you're you're schooling me in my own sense of thought in that <laughs> have to be no it's a good thing it's you didn't I don't have to, to have it be black and white it's not yes self-help no self-help it's like no self-help is a variety of things and it's mm-hmm. it is like you said the journey so no I and it's I think it's that me answering that maybe was a little bit of me you know, self-deprecating, like saying like, boo, who am I? You know, I think there is still some of that in my, my answer. And I think I do have a fear of losing a sense of relatability and a sense of humility. Cause you can see it with people. You can, especially you can see it with people that enter into this creative space and really succeed. Yeah. And then they, they lose themselves along the way. You see with politicians, you know, mm-hmm. they are authentic at first, and then they join that, you know, the brutal mill of politics and they lose themselves. And so I'm like preempting a fear that doesn't even exist at this moment. And it's so silly. And I do that a lot. And I, it's it's something I do want to work on. Uh, I understand that more than you probably realize because self-deprecation is the foundation of my entire presentational personality. Like... All I do is self-deprecate. I'm perpetually the underdog. And I position myself that way. Even even in me saying on this podcast, like, I, like, like I ain't trying to be Black Oprah. Like, it, it's that thing of where it's like, I'm not trying to be the number one most successful high dog top person. I'm not trying to be, you know, the, 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 the you know, head of the pack. I'm not trying to be the head of the table. I just want to be in the conversation. Like, I do like, like, and a part of that is self-deprecation and a, and a part of that is humility because I don't think that every person has to be number one in, 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 in order to be impactful. But it's also a thing of like me keeping myself positive because I'm not number one. Like, it's like, I'll probably never be at the success level that I would want to have. But it doesn't mean that the journey and the work that I'm putting in is meaningless. No, that makes sense. And I think sometimes I have this vision of what success is. And so if it hits anything lower than that, then I go, well, what's the point? It's like my own worst enemy, a self-sabotager. Yep. I'm that person every day. I I battled with that this week 
I battled with that yesterday because I do a YouTube recap show called called the Super Chat on my YouTube channel that I basically recap the last week's set of episodes and then I kind of preview what's going to be coming up next week and I didn't get a chance to get the episode done and I was just really fucking shitty about it but then I realized like the reason why I didn't get it done is because I have to do reformatting to it because me doing it this week wouldn't have made sense when I have to get together the second podcast that I'm launching and the fact that my podcast that I'm doing now is kind of restructuring and it's shifting its format and it's going less about recapping TV and more about these interviews that I'm doing and just talking about the world of reality TV and the culture around it and how people navigate that and the fact that the culture of reality TV is just a microcosm that I use as a platform to, to, to talk about the greater complexities of the world around us. People don't, people don't usually think that deep about it when I say that I'm talking about reality TV, but that's kind of the point. Um, it's just, you know, it's that catch-22 of like keeping yourself humble but also not self-deprecating. And it's like, where's the, where do you find your balance in that? Have you found your balance? Are you still finding it? How do you keep yourself, like just from day to day, how do you keep yourself in that middle ground of humility and self-deprecation? I guess the quick answer is I'm still figuring it out, but I think I... I think if I'm ever in between or in flux or unsure or if I'm being too self-deprecating or too vain or pompous, my whole thing now is like, be vulnerable about it. Be open. Be like, hey, I'm, oh my God, I'm too vain right now or I'm too this. And just saying it rather than like trying to police it too much because like I still need to build up that skill of really just trying to be in between, like that nice middle ground, that nice sweet spot. Right. Now I'm just like, you know, this is how I am right now. This it is what it is. And it's not saying like I'm not trying to work on myself and become have more humility, but be, you know, still have some self-deprecation, but still also have a self-esteem because you do need self-esteem to survive. True. And and now it's just, yeah, this is where I'm at right now. And I've realized so many people respond well to someone saying, I don't know, or I'm unsure. Or this is just a moment in time and things may change. And I used to have a problem with not having an answer. And now I'm really enjoying, just on a broader spectrum, just saying, someone asks me something, I go, I don't know. And I'm really enjoying being unsure about things. Because people can relate to that. People can relate to not having all the answers. People can relate to not having it all together. I think it goes back to what I was saying about people not always needing help to the end goal. Some so, some people just need help getting through the journey. And a part of that is relatability. I think people relate to and they gravitate towards people who are on the same journey as them or are seemingly going through a, a similar journey to them and still presenting and seeming to be okay. Like this YouTuber who has all of these subscribers and all of these, this, this, that, and the third, or this person doing a podcast, whatever. And, uh, and, uh, and honestly, 
just by proxy of you being a content creator, people think you're doing better than you are. I've come to find. I've come I, yeah, to find. I guess that is kind of true, which is funny. Yeah, like people think that just because you have a YouTube channel that you're automatically successful, and it's like, mm, that's not how that works. People think that just because you have a podcast that you're doing okay, and it's like, oh, not, 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 not at all how that works. It's actually kind of the opposite. It's the opposite, actually. It's the it's the diametric opposite. Yep. So it's like, you know, th- there's power in that vulnerability because your audience is going to automatically understand that and when you come and position yourself as the authority on something or as the person to go to on it it kind of cuts the relatability because it's like okay well how do you connect to that when all you can get from them is answers to your problems yeah and more often than not people that do declare themselves an expert often aren't the expert and they probably aren't the person that should be teaching you know about a certain topic you know, they're exactly. like experts. Exactly. So with that being said, what is the one thing you want people to take? Well, what is the one thing you want any and everyone to take from, from your podcast? And what I mean by any and everyone, I mean like the people who are listening to your show and anybody who just discovers your podcast on a random day like I did. I would say I want people to know that all the answers they need are within themselves, or at least you can find who you are within yourself. And I think we don't often have enough quiet time with ourselves. And I think that's what's made the world so violent and angry and lost. People use external validation sources. There's nothing wrong with finding things that are meaningful to you outside of yourself but I think ultimately you can find out who you are at a base level by questioning you know why you're doing what you're doing what you're doing what you're doing and then building from there and I think that the answer is always existentialism always self-actualizing you know trying to be a better version of you and that's kind of what I try to do and I hope that's what I impart on people Um, and I hope that also too that words have meaning words have power you know that's kind of why I always end each episode with a quote Um, we are so quick to just not think about what we say and not realize that our words have meanings and their semantics and there's positive connotations and negative connotations and words can hurt people. And I want to reframe the way people look at how they speak every day. What's the most impactful lesson you feel like you've learned over the course of doing your show? Oh, don't wait for perfect because it will never happen. And if you wait for the perfect logo, the perfect filming set up the perfect whatever it'll never come and so just do it let it be bad let it be whatever it is and be bad let allow yourself to be bad at something i think we all have this bizarre thing and i think social media teaches us this that everyone's perfect at everything they try right at the beginning and it's like no 
be bad at it. Like I'm, I'm trying to teach myself guitar right now, and I'm enjoying being uh, bad at it. I and I'm, and you're musically inclined. I'm envious of that because I'm, I'm trying to be. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just embracing. You know, I would say the biggest lesson is, is perfect doesn't exist, and and just try. That's brilliant, and that's honestly a lesson that I had to learn in order to be able to start this podcast. Yeah, it's necessary. If you want to be, have your longevity online, you have to let go of the perfection. Yeah. And, you know, just even on a small level to your point, like, like, like you said, waiting for the perfect logo, this and the third, I was like, I literally just changed my entire podcast art, like all of the art to my look. Like I completely changed the entire vibe of the show. Like, 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 like the format of the show is changing. Like, like the show, like you said, is becoming what it's becoming as it's becoming. And I think that I was scared of that journey because you feel like you you have to come in with the perfect package. And I think that's a part of social media and what this generation of content creators is kind of fallen into or been bred up with is like you have to come in looking like a youtuber or looking like a podcaster but nobody can tell you what what the hell that actually looks like exactly and it's also all of these people that you see their super polished podcast they have a team behind them yeah one or two producers they have someone that does social media someone that does art people that do intro music it's a whole team so it's impossible. they just show up and be the talent exactly and that's my dream someday because i i hate doing all the other stuff but in the meantime you have to be proficient at least proficient at doing all the things and then just getting it up and then you'll get better you'll find your voice it's and i'm still in the process of it two plus Damn. years down the line it never ends and i'll look at the stuff i'm doing today and laugh because i'll be like god that was so bad but then you know at that same point a year later from then i'll be laughing at the stuff i'll be creating then so it it never ends you should be critical of the stuff that you did before because if you weren't that would mean that you weren't getting better you weren't changing 100 percent. because i because this is not the 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 first podcast that I've ever done. That this isn't the first you 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 YouTube channel that I've ever done. And I and at some point I want to go back and look at my old content. I don't think I can go back and listen to my old podcast now. Um, because I did a, I specifically wanted to do not necessarily like a like, like a long lasting podcast, but I wanted to do it as a project to myself of doing like a 50 episode podcast on the complexities of being black and or queer while while being a citizen in America. Mm. And so I took 50 days. I don't know why 50 was the number, but I took 50 days and every single day I did a new episode about a different nuance, complexity, microaggression, thought process, experience I've had. Um explaining a moment in pop culture from or in the world around me from a black perspective like I did an episode on Thanksgiving Day about why I don't celebrate Thanksgiving as a black person oh interesting things like that like Like, I like and I don't like I want to go back and listen to that because I'm so proud of that like that was really like I feel like my my 
my first major piece of activism but just you know how people hate to hear their own voice oh yeah you don't need to tell me (laughs) it's that it's that thought process but tell me about your interaction with your listeners and can you tell me what your listeners have shared with you that you've poured into them I so I received at the beginning a really lovely email um, from someone that just felt inclined to just say that they really related to what I was talking about and that was like my first real interaction with someone where I was like oh there are people listening because sometimes it can feel like you're yelling down a well and there's no one at the bottom and it's sometimes you're like why am I doing this and I still feel like that now sometimes but you know you're building that momentum and it's slow but sure but it's more so that people are it's just general it's more so that people are just relating to me and I guess that that's so bizarre to me because again I felt so like different and lonely growing up that it's that to me is just so nice and great to hear so it might not come across to other people as so such generous feedback or as so nice but for me it very much is I totally get that. I think, you know, I get very general comments on my YouTube channel, but then there have been comments where people have impacted me in ways where I didn't, you know, like, sometimes somebody just leaves you the right comment at the right time, and it's like, oh, that's everything I needed. You, 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 you just changed my life. But, like, I feel like one thing for me that still hard for me to realize even though it's the whole reason why I do it is when people say that I've like genuinely impacted them or like you know they've been touched by my content or like they've been moved by my content even though that's what I do it for like 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 I do it for a greater purpose so that somebody can feel seen or learn something or feel like they're not alone but then hearing that actually come from my content like that was it's always surreal to me it's always really really surreal to me like even down to you saying that you look at my my content and you can tell how much I genuinely love doing it it's like it goes back to me saying I do my content not thinking about me myself being perceived as a part of it do you get what I mean like I never think about what people are going to think about me so then I get these comments about how me and what I said and my words are impacting them. And I don't think about it as my words. I don't think about it as me doing it. I think about it as the work. Like, the work is what it is. Yeah, it's a product. And I guess I just... Right. Correct. And I just consider myself a vessel for the product. So so, So when I hear people react to me as the person creating the product it hits me differently and it's a different level of emotion for me because I I always create my content thinking people are going to react to the content never to me and I for some reason dissociate and and detach myself from my own content and I don't know why I do that do you know what I mean? yeah well I think you can do it more because it's there's a buffer of material between you know, the audience and you. Whereas mm-hmm. for me, this is mostly about 
me and my thoughts. So there's no real, it's either they're going to, and that was a thought process I had going into this where I didn't really have one particular version of expertise or interest to talk about per se on a podcast. And so I was like, well, most people that have podcasts that have some success and that people really resonate with, they're resonating with the person. And so I guess that was sort of like a strategy in my mind where it was like, okay, I'm going to make this me focused and it's either going to work or it's not. Rather, because I also didn't have like, you have something that you're passionate about that you have an interest and an expertise in, a knowledge in. I have things I enjoy and like I have knowledge about, but it's not necessarily something I could talk endlessly about, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you describe as a normal person? Huh. Um. Normal. I guess I would say someone that goes through the... Okay, do you know the game of life? It's that board game? Mm-hmm. I would say it would be someone that follows the... The traditional path you know the college um career family retirement track of the game of life if that makes sense someone that checks off all the boxes that that makes perfect sense do you think people can truly be evil or do you think they're just damaged um Another really good question. Um, I I think we'll know more in the future when we can sort of start to, especially with all these school shooters, and we're now getting more of a view of psychopathy. I think we'll find out more if these people have brain malfunctions or have brain abnormalities that make them like actually sick. Like it's like a mental illness, like any other except they express with violence. If that's not the case, at this moment in time, I do think some people are evil, and I do think some people are put on this earth to be bad examples. I know that that's not a favorable view of humanity, but I think a lot of life is a numbers game, and I do think there are some duds in 7 billion people. And we have a proclivity towards violence as human beings. We have an amygdala, which fires off our our sort of propensity towards violence, toward irrational action. And so why wouldn't there be people that are bad and do bad things? That makes perfect sense. Um, where do you want this show to ultimately take you? Do you, do you have an do you have an idea of that end goal you you you've never been able to come up with? I guess it's more so I would like to continue it as long as it's continu- continuing to reach people. It doesn't need to grow forever. If once it has an audience and if it's, you know, self-sustainable, that would be great, but for me it's more so could it afford me a lifestyle where I can do the show, I can use some of the income to be able to write, you know, half the year to, you know, ultimately my goal was to make movies and scripts and create visual content. 
Um, and I would like to find more of my voice and more, make it more me. So I don't really have a tangible future per se that I visualize. Um, but I want it to sort of evolve as it goes. And I don't ever want it to become miserable. So the moment it becomes truly something I dislike or it causes controversy or is like a problem in my personal life or something, then it wouldn't be worth it. I always want it to be something that feels valuable to me and valuable to the people that are listening. That makes perfect sense, actually. Um, I was reading your Instagram bio. What qualifies someone to be a good babysitter in your life? <laughs> you know, I I was someone that desperately needed a babysitter <laughs> growing up. I, Same. I was, yes, I feel like we're both sort of our own little child babysitters. Latchkey kid here. Yeah, see, I wasn't that, but I, I always felt like I was just... By yourself? I, yeah, just mentally, like, cerebrally. Like, I remember sitting in third grade one day, and, and I'm someone I have very little memories of childhood. Like, my brain is sort of wiped clean, except for the negative experiences, of course. I but completely feel that. It's awful. But I remember looking out the window and thinking... And I had a horrible third grade teacher who would make fun of kids that had learning disabilities and was really cruel. Wow. And yeah, she called this one kid, his name was Logan. She called him Slogan as a nickname because he had trouble reading. Evil. Yeah. And I was looking out the window and I was thinking, my God, this is the kind, these are the people I'm going to be stuck with for the rest of my life, surrounded by idiots. And so I think for me a babysitter is someone that makes me feel safe and I don't know if I've found a community of people that I feel that with at the moment like my family obviously to a certain degree but I'm still on the hunt for people that are like me and that I can integrate into my life and that prove to me that I can trust them that show up because ultimately a babysitter is someone that shows up and babysits your kids you want someone that shows up stays the whole night doesn't pass out on the couch and then leaves at the end of the night and sometimes that's hard to find this day and age you don't wow I didn't expect like when I say I don't expect interviews to go the way that they go it's not ever that I go into them with expectations but I don't ever expect to be as impacted personally Mm -hmm. by them um I relate to you on so many levels because that what you just said about people showing up and you needing somebody to just actually be there and prove and not feeling like you have a community that that that's a part of my reclusiveness it's a part of you know back to what we were talking about about the about about the you know, feeling like I had friends in school because I was entertaining them and then not having real friends in real life and, you know, always feeling like an outsider in the world around me. It's led to me having a lot of social issues and a lot of social anxiety and a lot of agoraphobia because I don't, I feel like I don't have the ability to trust people Mm -hmm. because I don't have a 
I don't have an example of someone who consistently shows up or is there or is somebody like I don't have like that which a part of me feels bad about the way that I process this because it almost feels like I need someone to be perfect and never make mistakes and always be there for me to understand me and all of that and nobody's perfect but I also don't have a community of people that are willing to show up in the way that I need as well do you get what I'm saying so it's like where I may have my husband who is a great man who I love dearly he's not able to be my everything so it goes back to you needing that community and that village but yet I'm so traumatized because I've been so hurt and damaged by people in my life that I'm too scared to get to know people past a certain level because I don't want to put myself at risk because I know how the disappointment can affect me. Oh, yeah. It's like you you already, you put your hand in the hot stove already. You know what it feels like. That part. And, yeah, and I think that it's, that sometimes the unknown is easier because you don't know what it'll feel like. And now you're like, oh, no. I've experienced all these, these negative emotions with being burned or not feeling included. And I, I'm the same way. And I'm also, you know, I'm someone where... I could go live in the woods for the rest of my life by myself and be fine. Like same. Like, yeah, it's just. And I plan to. Uh, li- I, listen, I'm on the hunt every day looking at land to buy in uh, either New York or West Virginia to build a little, uh, a little I homestead. Know. Yeah, well, I want to build yes. a container home. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God, we are the same person. <laughs> it's so I, funny. Yes, I'm obsessed. Like I always say. You know, people think that just because you do a podcast, you're in entertainment, you do this, that you want to be famous and rich. I said, bitch, if I can get me, uh, like, if I can get, like, a school bus or, like, an RV and, like, renovate it into, like, my perfect little home for myself, I would literally just be a nomad gypsy and just travel the world in my little RV do my podcast and just travel around the country like I and, and be perfectly happy like I'm a minimalist I don't want a whole bunch of house a whole bunch of land I, I don't even want to be tied down to anything like I don't even want to own property like I just want to like be free like like be secure enough financially to be as free as I want to be in this world if that makes sense well, yeah, financial security, especially now, is is freedom, and that's for yeah. me. I'm sort of the I want land. I want something that's mine, that uh, earth that I own, and to me, that'll put a lo- that'll alleviate a lot of stress for my life because that's something I've always wanted. I've always wanted to feel like even if everything falls apart, I have my little plot of land. I think for me. I want to be able to like take my plot of land with me and not be tied down to it, down to anything, which is why the idea of like an RV sticks out to me or or, or I'm like being in a mobile home to me because I don't want to be tied down or like trapped anywhere or feel like I have to be somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, the ability to to, to just be able to get up and go or just leave adds a sense of like that is security for me not being trapped anywhere is security for me because I feel like I've been tied to places or tied to things or trapped in place well 
that's a whole different story. But I, but I, do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we all find solace and security in different things. And I think it's, for me, I don't like change. I find change very scary because things have always gotten worse when things change. So I like the consistency of, okay, I own this thing, this plot of land. I have control over it. It can't change unless I say it will change. Whereas you might have more of like, the the comfort is in the change. It's in the fact that you just have you, your thing, your bus that you own, and then you're just rolling along. And so it's just a different sense of security. But really, ultimately, what we're looking for is that feeling of safety. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think for me, I, 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 I completely agree that we want the same things just in different packages because it's like for me I've been bounced around a lot uh, bounced around a lot as a kid my entire life bounced from home to home never felt like I was wanted to be somewhere so I've always felt like I've either been trapped somewhere that I've wanted to get away from or I've been forced to leave somewhere that I wanted to stay and so for me when you say that the comfort is in the change, I think it's the comfort is in the control of the change. It's like, if I want to change it, I, I can change it and I can stay here as long as I feel like I want to. And then when I'm ready, then when I'm ready to go, then I can just pick up and go and just be gone and not have to, you know, file paperwork and do this and sell my house and do all of this. I can just pick the fuck up and go without having to feel like I'm obligated to stay somewhere or feel like this place is going to keep me here or 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 push me out without me being ready to do either. I completely sure. feel what you're saying on that. And it probably just like, you know, we always gravitate towards the familiar in our childhood as to what feels like love. And so probably bouncing around feels familiar and it probably even though you might not have liked moving around as a kid it probably still feels like love it feels like home so that probably is still what feels good to you even if it's not necessarily as a positive memory attached to it because what it is is the only way that i found optimism in being bounced around and you know moving as a kid was the opportunity to start over and Mm. and you know going to a new place and reinvention and and you know starting over being a new person finding a new community maybe this will be the chance where i find my home do you know what i mean maybe this will be the place where i want to stay and it hasn't happened yet but i think that's why like like that like that like that's what it is it's like the only thing that i've ever been happy about is the chance to start over Sure. And I mean, technically, we're wired to be that way anyway. So like, basically, we're supposed to be nomads as human beings. It wasn't until like agrarian society, where we had farming that we actually settled down. But we're supposed to be basically moving every three years to keep our brains fresh, and at optimal levels, because you were supposed to as a hunter gatherer, you were supposed to go explore the area for a while, you know, build your little shelter and then get to know the surroundings and then move to a new place. So we're really not supposed to be settled people. So basically, I'm doing this right and all y'all got it. (laughs) Exactly. You're technically (laughs) truer to your evolutionary standpoint where we're all all trying to 
fit into this world where we're not supposed to. Yeah, I mean, basically that's all of what capitalism and our modern society is, is our, our we're brain broken and trying to force our square selves into a circle peg. And that's why everyone is so profoundly miserable. My in my opinion. I hate to hear you say that because he thinks I am batshit fucking crazy. <laughs> no, if that anything, I, you're, you, you know what's up. He thinks that I'm a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, no, my, 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 my third eye is open. Yeah, you have but, spiritual awakening. It's, yeah, you, you know what's going on. I do what I can. <laughs> now, I've, now, I, now, I've held you hostage for a while now. And I'm gonna let 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 you go by wrapping it up with a couple of actual questions about social media and reality TV. Yes, I feel bad we haven't gotten to that. I don't because <laughs> the conversation that we've had has been way more impactful than any question that I could have asked you about housewives. So <laughs> I regret nothing. <laughs> I will not digress. <laughs> I, I like it. I like the confidence. I do what I can, you know. Describe to me the creative process behind curating your Instagram page. Because I'm obsessed with your Instagram. Oh, well, thank you. I I love your Instagram page. I think I should post more and more of myself. I'm getting to that. But everything for me is a process. Um... I try to post when I have episodes up or when I'm thinking of something and I just I pick the color combinations of um, blue green and brown so sort of like a natural you know sort of like mid-century modern house in like Laurel Canyon in LA if you can visualize that aesthetic that's what I like one million percent whoa well Victorian homes are the only homes that I would want want to buy if I did own property so I get mm-hmm. where you're coming from buy the manor or buy nothing at all exactly and yeah i i grew up in an old 1860s farmhouse so that's like Uh, i love old i love yeah i love a house that creaks and tells stories yeah yeah because that's who wants you know something new and you know empty but yeah i like i grab i have a pinterest board where i pull images from and i love you know, sort of a, a good, you know, Sylvia Plath quote, something that's meaningful, resonates with the post. I like, I don't know. I, my thing is always like, would I want something like this hanging up in my house? Do I like the, the aesthetic of this? And that's sort of how I go about choosing imagery um, that I like. And then, you know, I want to, I do film photography. So I'd like to put up some more photos that I take. I think I have a few on there that I've taken. Um, but again, all in due time and, you know, I'm, I'm lazy. I haven't gotten my film developed in a while. So it's also, (laughs) it's a me problem. I wish I had the creative bandwidth to curate an Instagram page like that, because I just literally take screenshots of the description of the episode and post it with whatever witty quote that I, or, or, or with whatever witty caption that I can come up with and hopefully some hashtags to get some eyes on it. Your your Instagram is so aesthetically pleasing for me. Like, because well, I thank you because it's the imagery, it's the quotes, 
And then the fact that it's connected to the episode of the podcast, like it makes me want to go and listen to the episode that much more. Like mm-hmm. it's just like like it's a visual rep it's a visual rep representation of your podcast without it having to be you on camera. And I really I really subscribe to that. Well, thank you. Yeah. I've been trying, I was really feeling a little down to myself last night about how I'm not measuring up to other people's Instagram. So that, that was a nice thing to hear. But algorithms are fuckboys. So. Oh, I know. It's just, it's hard sometimes. You fall, you fall down that rabbit hole. Trust me. I fall down it often. But (laughs) speaking of rabbit holes, what's your relationship with reality television? I would say it's an it's a in and out sort of relationship. I really was into it. I would say probably like in high school, because um, that's probably when Housewives came out. I want to say because I'm 28, so that sounds about right. Uh, maybe okay. a little later on, but that's um that's when i i started getting into it um and i i find it fascinating i think it's become overproduced over the years and i think it's become especially in anything that's like a competition show or like something where there has to be like a villain i think there becomes like factions of fans and it can become it can become sort of brutal but um, you especially see that with Drag Race and sort of like there's camps of people and they're, you know, doxing the other contestants and it's all very brutal. But no, yeah. I I like seeing how the heightened version of how someone else lives. I think for me, I've always been fascinated with Hollywood, with actors, with, you know, the move making process. So watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills was one of my first ways of seeing what it was like as someone to just live day to day in that industry. You know, there was like later on, Eileen Davidson came in and she was a soap actress and Lisa Rinna's been on TV forever. Really? Eileen Davidson is probably my favorite housewife ever. She's just so real and she doesn't care. And she, you know, just was very honest. And I don't know, I've just resonated with her but yeah that's that's sort of my general relationship with reality tv i've seen other shows over the years but nothing is really stuck aside from beverly hills and then drag race and then i would listen to the outskirts of like other housewives shows like i'd hear about the drama around it you know i'd always be interested in like hearing about you know the table flips and what's the Salt Lake City uh, woman that's getting in trouble for scamming Shaw? What's I Jen Shaw? Person. Yes, and so or Jennifer Shaw. As, <laughs> Excuse as, me. As, as as Meredith Marks calls her, I just think it's so funny that Jen literally introduces herself as Jen Shaw, and she refuses to call her Jen. She she's like, I will not have a conversation with with Jennifer Shaw. Like, why call her by her full ass government? Like, but that's probably like just a just like an f you to her, like, I because she's so profoundly unlikable. And it's like, if anyone would scam, of course it would be her, of course. So, yeah, I I 
have never been a bachelor or bachelorette fan because I think it makes women seem like imbeciles that only have one value of like chasing after a man. Um, so that's never been something that's that I've found particularly interesting, but my sister loves it. So who am I to judge? You know what reality show I think I would ex- I would have expected you to be a fan of? Go ahead, tell me. The Hill. Oh. That was a little before my time. When you said you were 28, that's when it hit me. I was like, yeah, you probably don't know about The Hill. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I don't know about The Hill. I know what it, I know Lauren Conrad. I know um, Whitney Poor. I like, I remember, oh, and I, I did see a few episodes of the spinoff series where Whitney goes to New York and is like the a- city. Yeah, I watched a few of those. Oh, and I watched America's Next Top Model. How could I forget about that? Great time. Um, yeah, <laughs> Great all the, all problematic. The, I, I watched the recaps now from people that talk about how problematic it is. But yeah, I was fascinated by Janice Dickinson on America's Next Top Model and their her entire dynamic and just I always like loved the, like the camaraderie too, how they all lived in the house together. And I was always envious of that because I was like, oh, that seems so fun. So it was not like, I, I think the challenges and like the stress would have probably given me a heart attack. But the camaraderie, <laughs> I, oh, that would have been terrifying to me. But the camaraderie, I think I would have enjoyed. You know, the reason why I, I think you would enjoy The Hills is because you were talking about this like hyper exaggerated version of reality and like what the real house was of like that. Billy Hills gave you and like how you kind of like enjoyed like soap operas and like acting and all of that it the hills almost feels like a soap opera or a sitcom even though it's a reality show with real people like if you connect to Whitney Port go to her YouTube channel and watch her and her husband watch and react to the to they do the hills they they do the city they do Laguna Beach like they do all the shows and it is I, I i actually sat and binged and watched them recap like five out of six seasons i still have to go back and finish the sixth season i think i think i'm halfway through it and then i can finally go back and watch laguna beach in the city but the the it just remind because whitney and and her husband are the best recaps of the hills for me there's a bunch of people doing a podcast about it now there's there's a bunch of people doing like recaps and stuff about it but to me there's no one funnier than Whitney Port and her husband Timmy they are so funny they have good perspective Whitney was on the show so so it's a more you know personal perspective but I think you'll really relate to that show and relate to Whitney specifically because you kind of give me her vibe okay I'll have to check it out I forgot that that I guess in my mind I always forgot that that was even a reality show because it was like so hyper produced yeah and the OC was a TV show that was scripted and in my mind the OC and the hills again the OC was a little yeah and the OC was a little before my time too but I remember knowing about it and hearing about it so in my mind they're almost similar even though they kind of are kind of are because Laguna Beach was inspired by the OC and then the Hills is a spinoff of Laguna Beach which is why Misha Barton who became friends with all of the people on the Hills while the OC was happening 
she was eventually on the reboot of The Hill. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of as the connection too, because I because she was on the reboot that just got canceled. Oh, because I always think Misha Barton is in that group, and then I'm always like, wait, no, she's not actually. She kind of was in that group, but she wasn't in the original group. She well, not on camera. She just kind of hung with those girls in Hollywood, which is why she had the connection to the group in real life when it came back to to the reboot because the hills was inspired by the OC and so like there's a connection just through Hollywood but then she actually ended up becoming friends with reality stars who became reality stars because of her show wow it's very meta it's very meta (laughs) but speaking of speaking of meta are you aware of how toxic reality TV fandoms have become? Yeah, because I sometimes will fall down those rabbit holes on Reddit and Twitter. Especially being a drag race fan. Yeah, and the dra- whole drag race thing of like, you know, you read the YouTube comments of any, you know, lip sync, any, you know, especially the crowning and the final episode. It's like, it's brutal. And listen, we could do I a whole like- episode about All Star 7. Just- oh. <laughs> We could we could do a whole episode about that final list thing. We could do Oh my god. Yeah. And that's that's the thing too, is it's like it's tough because you now the audience is so big and it's now you know, especially with drag race and even with housewives, like there's so many different um versions of it and it, it's now going worldwide. It's it's going to get more brutal. Universe. Yeah, it's I don't know if there's a way to combat that, but I do think that maybe, especially, I don't know, for me, drag race, a way to combat it is maybe have more clear standards of judging. So it's more obvious, maybe points or something like that. I know that would change the whole format, but. Stop changing the rules to benefit who you want to win in the end, All-Stars 7, All-Stars 3. Yeah, that's the other thing too, is it's like, sometimes, I don't know, for me, this is like a clear of like they were trying to produce it you may just mm-hmm. agree but uh silky nutmeg ganache they wanted her to like be in the top the whole time and yeah. to me her drag was like too messy and she was like i don't know just but if she had to lip sync she was motherfucking ready oh sure let me stop <laughs> but it's also like how many like you know it's like you knew that wig reveal was coming and it's like yeah she had that one she was she needed to add more dimension and I think we missed out on maybe seeing more of her dimension because they pigeonholed her to success does that make sense so I feel like it robs a lot of the girls of like a a story and a future because that show is a life-changing thing like I saw it with Denali like she was an amazing lip syncer and pretty funny and talented and they kind of the storyline face basically faded her away into the background right and i don't know to me it's a shame when you see these extremes and they're just trying to produce it rather than let it happen you know they always say truth is stranger than fiction like let these girls in a room and have them dish it out like the first seasons like they just like with shangela doing that whole like you know her outburst the sugar daddy thing like that was just her and i feel like they were missing out on that sort of craziness I agree. Um, how do you think 
the entirety of the internet has gotten trapped into these toxic ass parasocial relationships disguising itself as stan culture mind you none of which is positive (laughs) yeah i think it's we live kind of back to what we were talking about initially is we live in a binary we live in good versus evil we live in hero versus villain you know it's like the obsession with marvel movies that people have with superheroes they want everything to be obvious and you can't be a fan of two people you can't like this person for their lip syncing and this person for their you know the way they design outfits yeah or you can't like this housewife because she's funny and then this one because she you know is brings a little more drama there's no just gray area and i think we also have it in a, a bigger issue which i think trickles into most of our lives we don't think about is politics we have two political parties yeah we don't have more parties like other countries have like germany has like 16 or something political parties we are obsessed with splitting things in two and so we if we have one person we're a fan of then that means the other person has to be absolutely evil Bad. terrible right. untalented and it's it's not like that and so i think if we can start to i don't know appreciate other characters for something else and sort of widen our breadth of what we appreciate from a character and from a show because these are real people we are impacting real people's lives if you're bullying them and being cruel to them then i think that things might slowly change but i don't know online culture is just so brutal and it's such a part of our daily life that i think it's almost like as an individual the only way to make a change is to take yourself out of the stand culture and just be a general fan or appreciate more people. Do you think that the ratios of parasocial relationships can be balanced or even reversed? <sighs> it's the, one of those things where it's a power dynamic, essentially. It's, and it goes both ways because the person that's creating content or on TV or in this show is a celebrity usually so they have the power of being you know quote unquote the superior the person that's like it's almost like the boss versus the subordinate but on the other end the person watching is the person saying hey if you do sponsorships I'm buying your product I'm the one giving you views I'm the person that you owe something to so I think inherently the relationship is toxic in general I think maybe if we got rid of like every reality star being like obsessed with sponsorships and maybe reducing like the concept of like paparazzi and giving people privacy and making people seem more elusive that maybe we'd return to like 1950s version of celebrity but I don't know with everyone having smartphones and media I don't know if we could ever get back to that but I think that if we tried it might help that's why I never want to be famous because I can't be a 1950s celebrity because I come from that understanding of celebrity where the folk, which is once again, probably why I never think about my content being about me and more so being about the work because I come from an old school Hollywood mentality where you do the work and nobody knows about your personal life and they only know you for your movies they only know you for your music they only know you for the for the work that that you put out and they don't know anything about your personal life 
So when I put out my content and I do my my own podcast and I do my YouTube channel, I think about it from that perspective because that's how I've grown up. That's how I understand reality. True. And I don't think a lot of people think that through when they sign up to these shows. I think they're just blinded by fame, power, respect. I think people just ultimately want to matter. And I think a lot of people just think, well, if everyone knows my name, then I matter. Right. And 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 TV shows um, prey on that. They they do a psychological exam a lot of the times and see who's craving that, who's a little unstable, who's, you know, it's tailored to people that that are desperate for attention and for love. And so it's on the showrunners too and the casting directors because they're a part of the problem by putting vulnerable people into vulnerable places. Talk about sadistic, right? Yeah, exactly. But in their mind, they're thinking, I'm making good TV and I'm making good money. It's all, it all comes back ultimately too, to greed and money. How do you suggest content creators curate an optimistic fan experience in their spaces on the internet? Hmm. I would say if you do something that could be perceived as negative or could be like a quote unquote scandal, I would say be upfront and honest with your viewership and the people that follow you. I think honesty and and getting to something before it becomes public information, I think could be greatly respected and sort of like nip in the bud any sort of problems. And then I would say, make it seem almost like that you're, this might seem maybe insulting, but almost like if, like you're driving the bus in this instance if you're a content creator like you're the teacher and they're the students and you need to set the tone of the classroom you know it's like yeah. in your, when you're like in second grade there's like the school rules like mm-hmm. you know keep your hands to yourself the golden rule be kind to others like right. almost baby them in a way and make it clear like this is a place where people are respected this is the place where people want to go to belong and obviously say it in an adult fashion but like that's what I'm going to try to do and try to do to make it so you can harbor a sense of okay this is a good place to be this is a place where people are operating at their best not at their worst obviously there'll be trolls that slip through and people that aren't like that but I think not enough creators come into the process of realizing that they're in control of what kind of people they bring into to watch their content and that they can control a li- little bit more of like the people that follow them the youtuber kempire is actually really good at that um mm-hmm. when he does lives and has people call in to like give their opinions he's very you know stern and strict and very you know matter of fact about you know the respect level how he runs his show this that and the third blah 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 and to your point like his shows tend to run a lot more smoothly I will say that um because he could he does come in and set very clear boundaries about what 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 type of environment his show is what type of environment the live chat is what he will and won't allow when you call into his channel and it's out of the third and he's very clear about those boundaries and he's very steadfast in that and that's somebody who died to they don't play that. They're very good at that. I'll have to check them out because I always 
I always want to like, I feel like you have to be really consistent with that and make sure it's kind of like in the forefront of your mind to like breed a healthy audience and to, and to almost like temper that parasocial relationship. Like, I feel like you can reduce it if you make it like the boundaries clear. Yeah, he's very good at that. Um, he's actually the first YouTube channel that I ever called into. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What did you call about? Uh, probably, probably either The Real Housewives of Atlanta or Married to Medicine. In fact, it might have actually been Love and Marriage Huntsville, and I wasn't even watching the, the a show at the time, but I just liked watching his channel so much, and I just had opinions based on an episode. That's what it was, actually. I called to talk about an episode of Love and Marriage Huntsville that I had never seen, but I had watched the entire live and basically got the got the description of what happened in the episode and called in to, to, to talk about it anyway. Oh, that's so great. You were like, oh, I got this. I get the gist. <laughs> they didn't know that I hadn't seen the episode. <laughs> I love that. That's something Why? on my bucket list. I want to make a phone call into a TV show at some, or an audio show or something because I, I, I'm always intrigued by the people that make those those calls. That's how I started. That's oh, really? Literally, that's literally how I start. Like this version of my YouTube channel, which eventually became this podcast, was started because I was calling into people's YouTube channels and and their listener and like their subscribers just liked me. And so there was one particular YouTube channel that I would call into all the time because they started doing a daily YouTube show where they have people call in and just give their opinions. And I would call in every single day. And so, you know, their subscribers started to get used to me being on the show and would want to see me all the time. And it eventually led me to create my own channel. And I ended up getting a lot of subscribers quickly because of that. So it ended up kind of working out for me personally. That is so funny. That yeah. I love that. Yeah, I want to call into. Uh, have you heard of Therapy Gecko? I have not. Okay, he's a guy that paints himself green as a, a gecko outfit. He started on TikTok. It sounds absurd, but it's he Does gives he advice. Yeah, he gives <laughs> esoteric advice about you know life. You call in, and I just like it because it's so absurd. I mean, you're an adult calling to get advice from a man dressed as a green gecko. Like I love it. That's actually sickening i want to be a part of that <laughs> you got a call why do you think reality tv has to be negatively focused to be successful i think human beings love drama i think we love <clears throat> chaos i think we love we're also interested in peering into other people's lives and and the concept of challenges because a lot of those like road rules was challenges and there's a lot of shows that are based upon like Amazing Race, you know, Survivor, that stuff. We like to see the extents of human nature. So whether it's how many gr- drinks can this girl drink and, you know, still kind of function on The Bachelor or mm-hmm. who can stay in the woods the longest or who can survive, yeah. you know, the most soul wrenching fights between a bunch of women on Housewives. Like we love seeing where human beings can go and the worlds that human beings live in like i watching beverly hills like for me was like oh i've always wanted to know what like the other side of celebrity life is like and so i think it 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 piques our interest as human beings and it sort of plays into our most fundamental basic needs as people 
I completely feel that. I, you know, and it's sad because, yeah, I'll never kind of understand that thought process, even though I get it. It's kind of hard to feel it. I completely get that process. Now, one of the things that I love most about your show is something that that you mentioned earlier and it's one of the things that I look forward to when I'm listening to your podcast do you have a quote a word or a poem to end our conversation with oh god what a good question (laughs) um trying to think of something that you know I wish I'm envious of people that can memorize poems and quotes just from their own brain like I find that incredible because I've never been able I have a photographic memory but I cannot remember things to save my life I'm trying to look through if I have anything in my vicinity I don't unfortunately i'm hypocritical to my own self but hey uh, listen on this podcast we have a feature here where like you can click a link and leave a voicemail so if you think of a good one you can always just leave a voicemail on the podcast and i can just add it into the episode later i like that you know what actually let me i'm reading have you heard of um the book Walden by Henry David Thoreau. Yes, I have. Okay, so I'm reading that book at the moment because my dream, of course, is to go live in the woods. Love that. And I'm just, I saved a I saved a few quotes in here. Okay, here's one. I had nice. I, I I am such a like a compulsive like I have to have an answer for something. I'm like a, I'm that it. student, so I'm like I have an answer for you. Okay, so this is exactly in Walden and Civil Disobedience by Henry David Thoreau, and it's in the section called Economy. And the short little quote is: "Man is an animal who, more than any other, can adapt himself to all climates and all circumstances." Short, sweet, and to the point, and I think it solidifies this wasn't intentional but how I feel about human nature is that I think we can all pretty much overcome any challenge that is put in front of us you know to some degree or fashion and that's the epitome of existentialism is constantly improving yourself constantly coming at every challenge with authenticity and vulnerability and I highly recommend this book to anyone that is looking to understand themselves better and reconnect to nature to the physical world that was honestly the perfect quote to end this conversation with can you send me the link to that book and i'm gonna well for one buy it and then two i'm gonna add it into this episode and into the description of the episode for sure yeah thank you so much listen i appreciate you giving me so much of your time your entire evening i love when these when these conversations go extremely long because like i i don't mind long form podcasts at all most of the podcasts that i listen to start at an hour and can go up to three or four so i don't mind this at all 
and and I've conditioned my my listeners for this type of shit. But I feel like the longer that that you talk, the more that you get. And so I just really appreciate what has been one of you gave me everything that I thought I was going to get out of this conversation and then so much so much so much more to the 10th power because I I knew exactly what I wanted to have you on this conversation have you on for because I wanted to relate to you and then also learn through your process and I feel like I got everything I needed out of this conversation thank you so much absolutely and thank you so much and I really appreciate you reaching out to me I don't think you know it means a lot and I don't think you realize how much it matters to other to creators when someone reaches out and says hey I like what you're doing will you come onto my podcast because that's a definite showing that that's a sign of respect from creator to creator so it's really appreciated and you're such a joy to talk to and such a wonderfully self-actualized talented person thank you so much I really appreciate all of that like I really you know, that's why I curated the conversations that I wanted to have on my podcast towards content creators, because, you know, I think as somebody who spent their life being somebody who was overlooked, undervalued, underestimated, I think it's become a mission of mine to show that you don't have to, you know, be the biggest, the best, the the, the number one, the most successful, the highest paid to be impactful. And it's like I keep saying, like, you know, you don't you know you 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 don't always have to help somebody get to the end goal sometimes you have to help somebody get through their journey and it's not always the most successful people that are going to inspire you to do something sometimes it's you know not everybody loves the hit single from the album sometimes people's favorite song on the album is the deep cut that 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 nobody listens to that nobody talks about and i feel like i'm the deep cut on the album always (laughs) <laughs> well, that's always more meaningful in the end always <laughs> which I appreciate so thank you so much for affirming my illustrious side B status I appreciate you so much Absolutely. where can everybody you. find you uh, find me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts anywhere, I think I'm pretty much anywhere where you can do a podcast the happiest sad person podcast and then same uh, handle for Instagram, um, the Happiest Sad Person Podcast. And then if you want to follow me personally on Instagram, it's Alessandra Catherine Sophia, Catherine with a Y, uh, Sophia with a PH. And then, yeah, as of right now, I have a few other project projects in the works, but those are all not really accessible at the moment. So that's where really you can find me. Sweet. Well, hopefully when you get some of your other projects moving, developing when when you get the novel done I would love to have you come back on and you know promote, talk about it break it down, do a reading whatever you feel is clever but I would, you have an open Alright everybody, that was my conversation with Alessandra from the Happiest Sad Person podcast. I I hope that I was able to display to her and not only you guys what a fan of her show I am. 
I think that her podcast is so creative, so unique, so valuable, so impactful, so informative that I think that everybody listening to this show, and even if you're not listening to this show, share it with somebody who's never heard of me or this show and make sure that they check out at check out the happiest sad person podcast as well. I think that everybody could benefit from just a vent session where she comes on, talks about the things that are going on with her and, you know, talks herself through things and figures out what's going on in her own head, get it out of her mind and get it out into the, to the ether and, you know, truly dissect how she feels about the things that are happening around her and the things that are happening to her. You know, I think self-reflection is very important. And I think that her podcast truly does encourage self-awareness. And I believe that everybody can benefit from reflecting and acknowledging the certain things that they may have failed on or slipped on or not paid attention to or whatever would have you. I think that her podcast can really lead to some self-improvement. And I think that everybody deserves that. So... Make sure you guys follow her. Make sure you guys subscribe to her podcast. Make sure you guys leave her a five-star review and leave her all of the love that she deserves and let her know that Real Reality Realness and Cherie Laveau sent you. And also, make sure you do all of those exact same things for my show. If you like this episode, leave me a five-star rating. Leave me a review, letting me know your thoughts. Um... Make sure you subscribe to the show. We're on all streaming platforms. We're on all the places you can get podcasts. Make sure, you know, you follow me on Instagram at Real Reality Realness. Make sure you do do everything I said to do for my show, for my sister podcast, Housewives History with Megan and Cherie. If you like this podcast, you'll love that podcast. So make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell on both, do all of those things, leave me great reviews, let us know what you think about our show, and also take that same energy to YouTube. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, Georgia Carolina. Georgia spelled like Georgia Smith, J-O-R-J-A. And Carolina spelled like both states where we do a recap vlog every week called The Super Chat. I'm starting that today and I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I can't believe that, you know, I finally figured out a way to make all of this stuff happen at the same time. And I can't wait for all of you guys to be a part of it. So... With that being said, I'm going to close. I appreciate every single one of you for being here. I love you all from the bottom of my green heart emoji. And make sure you guys always be real, stay in reality, and always bring the realness. My name is Cherie Laveau. This has been Real Reality Realness. And until next time, love you. Bye. Peace.